This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of 1990 for Thursday, April 30th, 2020. My grandfather's 85th birthday is today. Oh, happy birthday. Whoever you are. Just that. My Italian grandfather turns 85. As opposed to your Japanese grandfather. Yeah. Who else is it going yes, to be? Yes, me, Nico Di Gregorio, and his Italian grandfather. Oh, I, who, who could have known? <laughs> Whose name, by the way, also Nico Di Gregorio. Is it? Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Yep. What would that make you? What, what do you mean, what would that Are make you? Are like you like a, is, does he have the same middle name? Yes, as a matter of fact, he does. Well, same middle initial. Oh, Same, oh, okay. same middle initial. So, so uh, it's, uh, it, we're both Nicola A. Di Gregorio. Okay. 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 Um, and you're uh, Albert. it's I'm Albert. Yeah. Al, you're Al. Yeah. I'm Albert because my mom. So here's the thing: the tradition is in Italy, you name your firstborn son after your father. So it sort of alternates generation to generation. So my father's name is Marco, and his grandfather's name was Marco, and it sort of goes back and forth. Okay. And I'm, I guess, supposed to name my son Marco. Uh, see. We'll see how that goes. Um. But my mom was um, was uh, felt bad for my other grandfather because he felt like he got the short end of the stick. You know, <laughs> we're naming me after my Italian grandfather, my German grandfather, nothing for him. So they okay. stuck my German grandfather's middle name, uh, her first name into my middle name. Okay. So I have the least flowing name in the history of man, Nicola Albert Di Gregorio. <laughs> Nicola Albert Di Gregorio. I it just know. it just sounds like I'm going to be like you know an Italian underwear model, and then you hit Albert in the middle, and all of a sudden you picture Bill Cosby's cartoon. <laughs> well, it's a, <laughs> it's a real shame because parents usually pick names that are meant to flow, and when they don't, you know there's something wrong with the parents. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because I don't I don't know I don't know if my name I guess my name flows okay Adam Robert Hall. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, it's fine. It's all as generic as possible. Yeah. Adam's not generic, actually. I mean, it's a it's common, but not Adam is not same. generic. No, it's it was not literally as the name of the first man ever. I know, but that's my the that's first my point. time it they should, named a man. His name was Adam. It should be more generic, but it's not. I don't know very many Adams <laughs> is my point. It's not like an unknown name, but like it's you'd be surprised how few Adams I think, you know. Everything is made of atoms. That was lame as shit, my friend. Anyway, uh, we're talking about the, the movies of 1990 this week. Movies of 1990. Oh, yeah. Your nominees for induction to the Movie Hall of Fame are Home Alone, The Hunt for Red October, Total Recall, Miller's Crossing, Edward Scissorhands, and Edward Scissorhands, and Goodfellas. Yeah, that's right. Those are your six nominees. We're, we're going to talk about them in a second. Mm-hmm. But first, uh, have you been watching movies, Adam Hall? I'm queuing you up because I know exactly what you're going to say. I haven't seen any movies. Oh, well, so much for that segue. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. No. Yes, I've All seen All Alley, no oop in that <laughs> transition. That was like you're setting me up and I'm just I'm just like watching the ball like, what's he doing? Oh, that's cool. Oh, there's a bird has in flown face. into the gym. I'm, I'm going to watch the bird that's, that has flown into the gym now. That's okay. nice. That's me. <laughs> Uh, yes, I've seen a couple movies. Care to tell me what they are? No. Okay. (laughs) 
This is great content. Okay. Let, let uh, it be known you broke first. I would have sat there for five minutes. <laughs> really? Oh, I yeah, find that yeah. very hard to believe. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> we'll start with the hunt, actually. Word. Let's start with the hunt. I saw the hunt. Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I was like, I mean, you told me about this. What was it like? Jesus, like three weeks ago now at this point. It's been oh, a while. oh, it feels like about three years. Yeah, I know. I don't know exactly how long it's been, but all during quarantine anyway. I mean, obviously. But um, yeah, I needed to watch The Hunt because you spoke quite highly of it. And I'm like, well, it seems like my cup of tea. And I watched it. And it's the dumbest movie I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It, it is remarkably fucking stupid oh, in yeah. every way, but luckily it knows it's stupid and it oh, commits yeah. to being stupid all the way through. And I th- basically, I lumped this into the, the, um, category of like, like it's like get out and like, I don't know, 21, oh, jump, 21 jump street where it's like dumb, but like smart, dumb. Um, and I, 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 I don't, I don't put it in the same category as those. Yeah, I would. I'd certainly you, you put, think, you think so. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, funnier. it's a Blumhouse movie. I don't know. I, I don't give a shit. It's still that kind of movie. Well, I guess Get Out is a Blumhouse movie too, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I would literally lump it into the same category. Okay, fair enough. Less. What I basically boiled it down to was it is as if Adam Wingard directed and it was written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Okay. It felt like they're kind of writing... Uh, it didn't wa- feel like Damon Lindelof writing to you. No, not not at all. Actually, I know. Su- I felt the same way. I was actually pretty shocked when I saw that Lindelof wrote it. He's been surprising me in a weird way, but yeah, th- that was cool. Um, yeah. but it felt like a, a Twenty One Jump Street movie, w- but about like you know some kind of weird political satire. And I mean, it's uber violent, and again, like like in a cheeky way, it's like fun violence and. Um, uh, it's 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 kind of gross and whatnot, but like plays that up and is a lot of, has a lot of fun doing it. Um, it's actually very well made on the whole, like pretty well directed and edited and everything, and actually surprisingly well shot. It's made by uh uh was it Craig Zobel? Yes, who made Compliance. Correct. Uh, which is a horrifying story. Um, yeah, oh yeah, and it's a true story, isn't it? Yeah, we actually learned about it in psychology. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, very, very true, actually. And a lot a lot of people hate the movie because it's so true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's uh, he did, does a pretty good job here. And um, I wouldn't exactly call the satire like, like, it's hard to call it smart. It's like, it's like smart in the way that South Park is smart, you know, I guess, because it's not subtle at all, like at all at all. But like, there's something kind of brilliant at how smart they are at being unsubtle. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you would categorize that. I don't know if it's quite what South Park's doing. South Park does no. hyperbole. You know what I mean? And, and this South- isn't doing hyperbole. It does. Um, <laughs> does it? Does it think it's smarter than it actually is? Maybe. Here, here's my take. And I, I think like the movie has been colored by a lot of controversy yeah. for no good reason mm-hmm. um, because it's really not as biting as the trailers would suggest. No. You know what I mean? Like the satire is pretty harmless. And I think in general, the movie is pretty harmless. I think it's just sort of a dumb horror movie that doesn't really take a side other than to say that both sides of the political aisle are being childish. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like, it's like, it's hard to watch this movie and be offended if I'm being. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you. 
like and that that was the thing i was maybe and maybe that's because of the look of the movie like i said like it's all like really well made and everything but the look of the movie suggests like it's much more bleak than it actually is yeah which is why i kept thinking like phil lord and chris miller should have also directed this movie oh yeah in a way it would have made a lot more sense to me because yeah, I, what, I think Zobel does a pretty good job, but yeah, you're right. No, it's yeah. more, it, it, it's more of an action comedy than it is a horror movie. Yes. I think it's very much an action comedy. I mean, it's closer to the tone of, I mean, it, much closer to, um, um, zombie land than Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's, that's true. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, that script, um, is not, is not going for blood as much as say an episode of South Park is. No, that's true. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's, more uh what it is which is why i enjoyed it I, I just sort of turned my brain off for an hour and a half and and just enjoyed the ride um first 10 minutes how great were those first 10 oh minutes? my god it's the first 10 minutes are essentially that scene in deadpool 2 where they jump out of the plane right and then everyone just gets killed off including brad pitt <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> um i was happy to see emma roberts die because i fucking hate emma roberts okay that's, uh, that's mean <laughs> Why? What? Do you like Emma Roberts? <laughs> no, I just don't have any reason to not like Emma Roberts. I don't know. Oh, I hate her. I fucking hate her so much. She's the worst. <laughs> so I was very happy. I almost cheered when that happened. That was great. And yeah. then, like every cliche they set up is immediately disposed of in glorious fashion. Mm. Glorious, glorious fashion. And then we get uh, whatever her name is that plays um, Snowball or Crystal. Betty Gilpin. And what's her name? Betty Gilpin. Benny Gilpin. Betty Gilpin enters this film and cements herself as one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> she dominates this movie. Holy shit. She I dominates. I basically loved this movie because of her. <laughs> yeah. Dude, th- maybe it's just because I have uh, the, the Chicago Bulls on my mind, but th- this is like Michael Jordan just coming in the fourth quarter and just not passing the ball. It's just total domination for 15 straight minutes. That's what Betty Gilpin was in this movie. There is not a single line that is perfect. That is not perfectly tailored for her. There's not a single choice that is wrong or a delivery that is wrong. Every weird, like, like facial mannerism is wonderful and new and very unexpected. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting choice. Oh, yeah. And it works yeah. so well. She does this like weird thing where she's fighting some woman with a with a bow and arrow. And instead of like screaming at the woman and running up to her, she makes like a goofy face and then just kicks her. And I'm like, <laughs> like to mock her in the process, like, oh, you suck at using that bow and arrow. <laughs> and one of my favorite details is when uh, she's she's in the same bunker and she's fighting the the the, the liberal leftists as this movie is about. Right. And the guy removes the clip. Yeah. And I knew exactly where the joke was going, but I'm just, but I, I just love the fact that the movie was going in that direction and for her to check the chamber to see that it was loaded, even though he removed the clip. And then for her to just give a little, you fucked up look, <laughs> doesn't say anything, <laughs> just gives a really sarcastic, like, like an ineffectionate smile to the guy. Like you're stupid. Right. The, there's actually it. such a remove to her character. Yeah. And it's very rare that that works where like the character feels like it's from a totally different movie. Mm, or in this yeah. case, she feels like she's just like providing a commentary track to the movie. It doesn't even feel like she's in the movie. Um, yeah. But it, it works for some strange reason, maybe just because the movie is so self-aware and is so like self-referential, you know? Well, she's about as re- like, here's the thing is that she's similarly like I would I would say like 
She's got a similar amount of irreverence towards the story as Deadpool does without ever looking towards the camera. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. And th- the way I described her character was that she's like uh, Eileen Wernos with control. Who is that? She's the... Char- <laughs> this is a freaky comparison, but she's essentially um, the the character that uh, Charlize Theron plays in Monster. Just oh, imagine okay. that character has like... A semblance of control over her life and her decisions. And that's <laughs> okay, essentially, I, see. I got you. Yeah, that's essentially what uh, Betty Gilpin plays in this. Yeah. I'm figuring out what you're putting down. Yeah, okay. That that actually makes a ton of sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Nope, that's Gary. The guy how about the- <laughs> how about uh, how about Hillary Swank? Sur- I I liked her, <laughs> but I, I think saw. It's- Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it's because she was playing the villain, and I don't always jive with Hillary Swank, but. Her being just like, I, I love it, it. It's so easy to hate a villain that is so convinced they're right, but their side is so stupid mm. and they're so blatantly wrong, but they're like, no, I'm right. And fuck you. It's like, and she's cartoonishly evil too. Oh yeah. She's like, way over the top. I saw a great tweet about this movie that said the hunt brought a Hillary swank to a Jennifer Gardner fight. Uh, and I thought it's <laughs> just a perfect distillation of you know the type of understated actress you should put in this role all you need is jennifer gardner here to get the job done but you brought hillary swank and you yeah. went way too far in that direction but it worked you know i it's just no it does work but like you know maybe it's better because of that because you know it's the elitist character put into this scenario next to betty gilpin it's like what are you doing it is actually not bad casting it's really good casting honestly yeah, yeah. but like her character is st- so stupid like she she's very good at presenting herself as smart and educated but she's such a fucking moron yeah and i was i I think that you know if you're looking at this as an act of political satire i I think that's probably where your problem lies um that the characters are not only not smart but also like not like uh politically sound their logic is not politically sound and so when you put political ideology into the mouths of stupid people you're not really taking that political ideology seriously but again i didn't really watch this thing as a political satire i just watched this thing as like a fun horror movie well it's not even it's not a horror movie first of all it's like it's it's just i mean it's got some horror elements i guess but it's more of like this weird kind of edgy but comical thriller Mm. but like like you said though the care the fact that the characters are so dumb like i'm sorry like even if you don't align with their political ideology, there is no like conservative or liberal that would look at the character of Snowball in Animal Farm and think that he's a bad guy because he's a pig. Right. I'm like, right. Really? Like, I don't care who you are. No one would make that mistake. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a pig. So fuck you. You're Snowball. And she's like, yeah, but he was an optimist. He was all this. And he was actually the good guy. You're more like Snowball, actually. It's like, yeah, of course. I like not taking it seriously to a point, which is why, like, yeah, it's it it if you're watching this as a satire in the way like Doctor Strangelove is a satire, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. Right. But if you watch it like a twenty two jump street film, you'll have a ton of fun. Yeah, and I also just think don't go into it with the baggage that the media left for you. Yeah. Uh if you believe all of the think pieces and all of the tweets from political figures <laughs> but here's about the, this movie you're just gonna be sorely disappointed i think but the irony to all that is their response to this movie sort of validates this movie in a weird way 
Yeah. Oh, they're respo- yeah, th- their responses are just as dumb, if not more so, and more childish than this movie actually is. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and so, both sides are equally to blame for that. Yeah. Um, so. Speaking of which, oh. this is actually as good a transition as any to another movie that you watched, and okay. I uh, watched in turn, so we can talk about this together. You were excited about this one. I was. I was. Yeah. It's called Dragged Across Concrete. Uh, I saw your Letterboxd review a couple days ago, um, and I'm like, oh, okay. As good an excuse as any to check this out. I can talk to Adam about it. It's one of those movies from last year that I think didn't really slip under my radar, but I, I just didn't get around to seeing it because uh, it was see, just, though. yeah, so much to catch up on. Well, actually, it was very easy to see, just very expensive to see. I think that yeah. was the only problem. Uh, this was a straight-to-VOD movie from mm-hmm. last year had a very limited theatrical run and was sort of buried i think in march of last year right so this yeah. is over a year yeah. old at this point um yeah. and recently hit hbo so it's streaming on hbo now um you uh watch this movie why uh i don't know it was like it popped up on my radar and it's been on there for a while i'm like yeah okay i'll just sit down and watch it okay i really like s craig zoller I absolutely adore Bone Tomahawk, and I really, really like Attack and uh, or Brawl and Cell Block uh, Ninety Nine. I have not seen it. Awesome, awesome okay. movie. Very, very pulpy and almost, almost grindhousey, but with Craig Zoller's flair or S. Craig Zoller, whatever. I don't know what his fucking name is. Regardless, <laughs> very much a his kind of movie, uh, especially in the way he portrays violence. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, this seems different. And it was different. It's a lot different than a lot of his other films. And um, Okay, you thought so. Yeah. Okay, so I, I really love Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. I adore Bone Tomahawk. I actually put it in the top 100 list of my end of the decade recap. Um, I, I did see a lot in common, ju- just in the pacing, which is, sure. I think, euphemistically deliberate and i think honestly pretty slow um in the flashy dialogue there's just a lot it's the dialogue is saturated man the dialogue (laughs) is just dripping with just metaphors and analogies and slang and and turns of phrases um but but the thing is not delivered that way not delivered the way like tarantino would deliver those things it's very subdued and quiet and almost what in the performances or in the writing no performances because the writing is you're right is very like stylized if you were to actually read this script it would just be like this jazzy fun but really edgy thing and then you put vince vaughn and mel gibson here and they take it honestly they kind of ground it (laughs) in a weird kind of way as much as they can all things considered yeah um and yeah um but anyway, I, I felt the same way about Bone Tomahawk, though, and that yeah. Bone Tomahawk is just an hour and a half leading us to uh, the horror movie at the end of the tunnel, essentially. It's yeah. just a traditional Western for an hour and a half, and it's a bunch of cool character actors just bantering with one another, and then uh, insane violence happens, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so, And Dragged Across Concrete sort of felt the same way, like except it was much longer <laughs> than Bone Tomahawk. And uh, yeah, the, the script felt like the star and maybe that's not a terrible thing um that's perhaps mm. s greg zoller's point um but uh he he does have a way of uh of getting getting long-handed with the pen 
<laughs> I didn't find it uh, unenjoyable though. This is the pro- This is the thing about the movie, and I realized this while watching it, and is that I saw this movie. I started watching this movie at like one o'clock in the morning, and I don't wow. do that with movies ever because it's especially a bad idea. ones that are three hours long. Yeah, I got to about the point where they start tailing the bank robbers, and I could not stop watching the movie mm. because mm. this movie is so gripping and engaging and awesome and i love these characters as terrible as they are uh and i had a tremendous amount of fun with the movie even though whoa this movie hits hard oh boy this movie hits pretty hard well okay it's certainly very watchable it's insanely (laughs) watch and actually all of his movies they seem to be insanely watchable um i kind of just like this dude's style me too. And I'm not even sure that I should like his style because like, I, again, I, I see a lot of the flaws. Um, you know, his shots are interestingly composed, but they're, they're pretty plain. He doesn't do a lot behind the camera. You know what I mean? He's a very like out of the way sort of director. Um, I, well, it's just the thing is like, I was noticing that too. Cause I felt like, like the shots were always very memorable, but never like over stylized at the same time. I mean, they're very like, stagey. Yeah, they have a great look to them, too. This thing I love a lot about this movie is its sense of atmosphere. Even though, again, he's not going crazy with the camera whatsoever. No, no. I mean, he kind of just gets out of the way and lets his script do the work. Um, and also, like, yeah, the, the scripts are sometimes pretty gaudy. You know, they're, they're, they're a little sugary. They're a little over the top. And look, I, I, I love a, a great Tarantino monologue. You know me, man. I love showy dialogue. But uh, yeah, there are times where I'm like, okay, I'm not sure this racist cop would speak in, you know, Shakespearean language here. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I never I, got the sense that it was Shakespearean. Well, but. I, I mean, you know, I don't know if he would be making reference to like, uh, to catch her in the rye here. You know what I mean? Like there were moments that, um, and I don't know, this is sometimes the case with Tarantino characters. This is sometimes the case with Sorkin characters. They feel like they're just avatars for the screenwriter's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with the performances, um, the movie feels that way, yeah. you know, because Gibson and Vaughn are are so understated and yeah. and uh, it, it just feels like they are just the mouthpiece to get as Craig Zoller's thoughts into the world. Did you feel the same way about that? <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I felt that way more so with the um, the the guy at the, the very end who who's you know playing video games with his his brother. Oh, right. I felt more so with that guy than anything. I mean, Gibson, Gibson more so than Vaughn, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you break down Gibson's, or rather Vaughn's relationship with his girlfriend, maybe there's truth there. Mm. Zoller's point of view. I guess the thing is, though, dude, is that their banter, even if it's like heightened, that's kind of the movie. It's sort of Zoller's style. It's certainly oh, yeah. his, certainly with his musical choices, which I commented on in my review. Uh, there's not much music. Yeah, there is. The, yeah, yeah there, there's a little bit of music. There's not a ton, though. A lot of it is just, what, what do you call that, uh, when, when the music is actually... Dianetic. Dige- no, diegetic. Diegetic. Sorry. Yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. And that's, again, very Tarantino-esque. Yeah. Um, again, like, his his writing is is just as vibrant as that. And like I, But I said, like I was saying, it's very, very subdued. And the movie asks you to, like, sit on these characters and the way they respond to what's going on, which is what I appreciated more. I like a movie like this that is a little more laid back so that when the crazy shit does happen, it's much more impactful, mm. which in this case it certainly is. Um, 
And I was never not bored or uninterested by what Gibson and Vaughn had to say. I was actually surprised by how much I like Vince Vaughn in this movie. Uh, I like Mel Gibson in everything he's in, so I don't care. I thought Mel Gibson was pretty damn incredible in this movie. Yep. I thought he was really, really good. This is another example. I don't care about Mel Gibson's personal life. He is yeah. such a good actor. I can't stress that enough. He really yeah, I, I don't is. think anyone's ever had any complaints about his acting. <laughs> No, they ha- well, they have because of oh my god, it's Mel Gibson. It's it's yeah. like, guys who gives a shit. No, I I don't I don't think that's ever my problem with him. Uh, yeah. you know I I think it's just uh, the over the top anti semiticism. <laughs> We're not talking about anti semitism. Semitism, ta- semiticism, <laughs> whatever. We're ta- <laughs> We're talking about dragged across concrete. Yeah, she took my Liker tickets. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Casting Mel Gibson as a racist cop mm-hmm. is definitely a purposeful move. Maybe. You know what I mean? Unlike something like The Hunt. So th- these are actually two movies that are very politically fueled, at least in the conversation around them. Not po- Well, this one's more social, I would say. Not, not so much political, but definitely social. Well, tomato, tomato these days. But... Mm. I, There's a I, distinction. I, underst- yeah. I, I understand what you mean. Um, both are sort of steering into controversy in a very interesting way. I yeah. think the hunt has more of a carefree attitude about it and is just sort of throwing caution to the wind and making fun of everybody, just sort of lampooning, not really trying to say anything that deep or philosophical. Drag to cause concrete seems to me a very purposeful act of, of, um, of social commentary here. Yeah seems very purposeful and you know if you read some think pieces which i'm not sure all of them are accurate uh as craig zoller has been accused of being an alt-right filmmaker uh, many people think that he's putting words into these characters mouths that he actually believes um i don't necessarily think that's the case or at least if it is the case i don't think we know that to be true i think there's mm-hmm. enough plausible deniability here you know i think there's enough ambiguity with what he's trying to say um but look, man, it's a it's a movie that is is sort of sort of just going for it and just yeah. and, and uh, political correctness be damned. And look, I understand why some critics didn't love it. Um, Me too. But like, I'm totally OK with this. I'm actually OK with experimenting with some dangerous shit here, you know? Well, because it doesn't feel like he's so much taking that much of a side. He's very much jumping in there and just exploring like he's letting these characters kind of come out of him and sort of letting himself judge as by the time the movie ends. I mean, I mean, certainly by, by the end of it, you're wondering who deserved what, or if anybody deserved anything that happened, but the movie doesn't definitively answer that. And again, that speaks to uh, Zoller's point of view where he's like, no, I don't think it's as clear cut. It's very gray here. And you're not going to, we're not going to have this, uh, pan out nicely for anybody really I mean this movie is so tragic yeah so tragic to the point I'm, where it actually felt exploitative at some points um, uh, I'm thinking about the Jennifer Carpenter scene in specifics there's that yeah. <laughs> oh, that boy. one just felt like unnecessarily gruesome uh, again, I, again I don't care I, I've never cared about exploit exploitation of movies as far as I'm concerned all movies are exploitive so it just depends. I mean, if you want yeah, to go it, in that, I get it. But like, there's a, did we not have, did the movie not have enough pathos? You know what I mean? Did, did we not care enough about our leads that we now needed to insert a random bank teller into the equation in order for me to feel bad? 
it certainly adds to, I guess, the the general thematic atmosphere going on, where it's like, yeah, no one's really safe here. I mean, even 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 the most sympathetic people imaginable can still have their fucking you know heads blown in, even if they have a baby. But here's you know? the thing: the second I saw that woman walk into the bank, I you knew exactly was- where it was going. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, S. Craig, come on, just stop, stop manipulating me. I, I didn't feel the need to be manipulated. I saw no need for you to manipulate me with this character that we only got five minutes to to latch on to. Nor, by the way, did I really care, if I'm being honest. Nor did I really care. Uh, I, I don't know. I've never been, uh, I've never had an issue with stuff like that. And I don't know why, but like, usually I, I always say, I, this is another thing I say when I talk about horror movies is that if you're going to introduce someone who otherwise you're not going to take the time to really explore all that deeply, you have to make sure that they're punished pretty heavily to, for us to feel anything. Cause I'm, I'm being honest, dude, I definitely felt something okay. <laughs> when she died. It's pretty horrible. What happens? I mean, and it's I, horrible what happens, but I, I, I don't know. I just thought I, it sort of took me out of the movie. Took, mm. It kind of took me out of the movie when that happened. Yeah. You and I always clash with this because I never get that experience generally. I just don't care if a movie really wants to do that. It's, it's perfectly fine by me. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why that is necessarily, but it's, it, if as long, I always say is if it works, it works. I don't care if it's quote unquote manipulative because it's not real. So I'm like, just go for it. No, I, uh, I look, I mean, sure. If it works, it works. I, I just feel like that type of manipulation is sort of transparent. I, I feel like it's transparent. Whereas we just spent two hours with some pretty compelling cop characters as, uh, you know, sometimes sadistic as they may be. Uh, and I enjoyed my time with them and I, I already sympathize enough with them. Mm hmm. You don't need to throw in another character just to tug at the heartstrings. Like we understand what they did was bad. I understand the levity of what they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just, it's, it's, but again, for a movie that has the balls to at least go for it. Cause I mean, dude, so, so often you see movies where it's like, like this scene, this bank robbery scene happens. And I mean, there's no stakes to it whatsoever. There's nothing going on. I mean, even my favorite movies like The Town, which have great bank bank robbery sequences or Hell or High Water, great bank sequences and people die. But like whatever, seriously, whatever. At least here, I know they're maybe being manipulative, but I don't care. And in a situation like this, I would rather you be a little more manipulative so that this scene feels somewhat fresh to me. Hmm. And again, that's just what we're looking for. I, I just need need an experience that actually does something for me. And I can honestly say that that worked. <laughs> okay. Um, also, I love the way that he does violence in his movies. Where some filmmakers are um, very over the top with blood and gore, and he's not quite like that. He is over the top with brittleness of human beings. Human beings are very brittle in their movies, for, in his movies for some reason. It's huh. very, very true in... Um, um, bone tomahawk, and especially <laughs> sure. true in um, even more true in um, uh, uh Jesus Brawl and Cellblock ninety nine. It's like the slightest things can make human beings fall apart, and just seeing that makes you go, oh Jesus, what the hell was that? You know, sure, yeah. Uh, the stomach w- sequence in this was a little gruesome. Certainly, how about, how about the sound effects? Oh yeah, the crackling was not great. No, yeah, when cra- in my review. <laughs> In, in my review, I cited horrible, disgusting-sounding exhalation noises. <laughs> when people get shot or injured in the gut and they breathe, it is the worst-sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, this guy's just making B movies, man. But he's making he, he's making B movies that are sort of unapologetic in their B moviness. But they earn it because they have wonderful writing and wonderful craft. Yeah. Yeah. They're just good. This is what I say. Like, I don't give a shit if it's an A movie or a B movie. A B movie can certainly transcend an A movie as long as it's well done. Right. And but I mean, one- the thing the thing about this, though, unlike a lot of other, I, I, I hmm. Let, let me put it this way. I think lately in genre movies, specifically horror, mm-hmm. there is this trend, and this is you know the Jordan Peels of the world are, are responsible for this. Um, it's to elevate the garbage mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to make movies that kids in the seventies or eighties, like maybe enjoyed say like John Carpenter movies or whatever. Uh, but in a way that could be nominated for a bunch of Oscars. And that's like something that's in style. Now it's elevating trash. Um, this movie d- doesn't attempt to elevate the trash. This movie still shoots, and 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 writes the movie as though it's a, a an exploitation film from 1976 you know yeah but i think coincidentally becomes elevated trash if you want to call it that i mean again like i don't even really consider this trash it like i said kind of transcends that as far as i'm concerned certainly in starts way, that i mean it's certainly it's definitely an exploitation movie you know what i mean yeah, it's it's yeah. it's definitely pulpy it's definitely gaudy it's uber yep. violent it's not going for realism in the script. I mean, it has all the makings of an exploitation movie, but I, I think I respect a lot more that it just goes for it than just does it with great craft. You know, it's the best version of an exploitation movie, uh, not a artsy fartsy independent no. movie posing as an exploitation movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. But the thing is, I would say it's very mature for the not just the vast majority of exploitation films, but a lot of movies that I have seen recently. I yeah. mean, Jesus, it's, a, it's leaps and bounds more mature than anything we got in The Hunt. It's not even remotely close. Oh, well, I don't think they're going for the same thing. I know, but like in the realm of the way people respond to these movies and how controversial they are, it's like you, you didn't give the leg up to drag to co- across contra- concrete just a little bit. I mean, I understand in the case of The Hunt, if you want to come down on it for being childish, but like this, I was that was confusing to me. I think a lot of people think that this movie is trolling politically. I think that's what they're sort of bothered by. You know, I, I just think the yeah. casting with Mel Gibson, I, I think all the racial stuff, um, it just feels like a middle finger to everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I will say this. The black character is incredibly underdeveloped and almost purposely underdeveloped. I, I don't know if I agree with that. Really? No, I don't know if I agree with that at all. Okay. I kind of found him to be a cliche. You know, mm-hmm. I kind and I kind of found his motivations to be a little one dimensional. And I think people are, you know sort of bothered by the fact that the movie comes out on the side of the racist cops does it i don't know that's what they perceive at least not sure if i believe that by the end of the movie i mean i would say his motivations are pretty much the same motivations as mel gibson's character right well precisely it's the thin line between cop and criminal man yeah i guess i don't know (laughs) <laughs> again i don't give it again i don't care about like like cliches as long as you can use them in a way that's somewhat refreshing i, I like i said i always cite sicario as that whereas like sicario is nothing i haven't seen before but the way it does it is perfectly refreshing and i yeah. love it for that yeah so no i'm with you i just think the movie um if you don't 
it, it doesn't hold up thematically. And I think like, you should just watch it as escapism and you'll be a lot more satisfied. But I still think, though, that S. Craig Zoller is trying to make something pretty provocative. And he's sort of, he's begging these questions. He's begging you to ask these questions. Well, they're interesting though. They're, they're at least rewarding to explore, which is why I don't agree that it's, that it doesn't hold up thematically. Okay. The fact that, the fact that it it is as, is effectively puzzling as it is and that it really like, like piques your interest and doesn't like, doesn't disappoint in the way that like us disappoints when you put it up to scrutiny, Mm. you know, that's where it comes out on top. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just think like I'm, I'm into this dude's style. Yeah, I, I just think that's what it comes down. And I just enjoy spending time in his world. And I think the less I think about it, the, the better I feel about his movies. You know? it, it, dude, it, it's also very cynical and it's, it's not exactly your cup of tea. Like, no, this, definitely not. I think you're right movie, about that. Yeah. This movie's incredibly bleak. And you, there, are, there are directions you could go in terms of the way you analyze it that just depress the shit out of you. And that's why I say the movie is, as much as I love it, and I really love the movie, um, it's a difficult movie. Yeah. More than anything. It's not frustrating. It's just difficult to take in. Yeah. And it's yeah. meant to be. Yeah. It's meant to be difficult. Mm-hmm. I kind of just want to see S. Craig Zoller write a play, though. You know what I mean? Like, I just well, think, like, his dialogue is so good. Is he, has he done read a, theater? Read one of his books. Oh, he's I didn't know he wrote books. He's an author first. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Yeah, okay. There you go. I do need to read one of his books. Like, I really love his, his, his patter. Well, he's, I can certainly say he's a much better screenwriter than Cormac McCarthy. Oh. Similar thing going on, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> shut so. up. <laughs> Similar shut thing the hell up. <laughs> We are not right, going let's talk there. 1990. Let's talk 1990. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Where does it rank for you, by the way, Drive to Cross Concrete from last year? Oh, oh, did you God. think about it on the list? I didn't add it. No, 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 no. I'm, okay. But I should. Yeah, I got to I got to go back and look. Yeah. In terms of my S. Craig Zoller films, I think it's number two. I didn't like it as much as Bone Tomahawk. No, um, I didn't. I know Bone, Tom, Bone Tomahawk is like remarkable. I love that movie. Yeah. But uh, yes, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I got to check out. Uh, brawl yeah brawl is oh, that's a fucking awesome movie awesome <laughs> i don't think movie. it cracks my top 10 from last year though dragged across concrete mm, i don't know it's it, it jesus I, I need to really think about it yeah i mean it's a really strong top 10 for me but yeah uh, okay here we go that was enough of a cold open there yeah Oh, yeah. We're supposed to be talking about other movies. Spent 40 minutes on those two movies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, this is going to be so long. Class yeah. of 1990. Again, your nominees. Home Alone, The Hunt for Red October, Total Recall, Miller's Crossing, Edward Scissorhands, and Goodfellas. Uh, in 1990, your nominees for Best Picture, Awakenings, Ghost, The Godfather Part 3, Goodfellas, and your winner, Dances with Wolves. Obviously, uh, the correct win. Yeah, not a not a nominee. Yep. On this podcast, and I feel no regret about that whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, Dancing with Wolves is kind of unfair to Kevin Costner because the movie now has become like the yin to Goodfellas Yang. Or I guess the opposite, whatever the metaphor would be. See, this is the thing, is like I honestly it's I don't dislike the movie at all. It's just again, this happens a lot where it's like if you put out a movie in the wake of another like all time classic of a film then it's just and it, it it wins out in the in the Oscars. Then it's of course it's going to be disregarded. You know, it's it is unfair in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy vistas. Vistas are cool. 
It's not that bad, Nico. I have a Vista as the wallpaper to my laptop. Nico, it's not that bad. Mountain Rangers are cool. Nico? Let's just stare at that what, mountain range. What are the like other movies? Minutes. I'm like the teacher, and you're just the annoying <laughs> kid that won't sit in his fucking seat. Nico, read the board. It's four fucking hours long. Read the board. Could you imagine Nico? watching a screensaver, a Windows screensaver for four hours? Because that's what Dances <laughs> with Wolves is. Do you need me to send you to the principal's office? Read best the board. director was Kevin Costner <laughs> for Dances with Wolves. Martin Scorsese did not win best director that year. And there's where I stop it. Yeah, you're right. That fu- fuck Dances with Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did not win Best Director for perhaps one of the three or four best directed movies ever. A little strange, only slightly strange. And yeah, it's like, I don't, uh, that that's the one that's like the most baffling for me. I just like, how do you watch both of those movies and say this one is better directed than this one? Is what it be- must a director do? You know? Good question. I don't fucking know. However, I feel like if Goodfellas came out today, it, it would have been easier for him because back then. Best picture and best director were rarely separated. Now I feel like they always separate it between the like most uh, well-rounded achievement for best picture and yeah. then the showiest work of direction. That's why Inuritu always wins and Corona always wins, even though their movies don't go on to win best picture. Well, the, the other thing is also cinematography boasts the, the direction of movies so grossly that it actually pisses me off. Right. However... I, I, the yeah. cinematographer of Goodfellas was not nominated for an Oscar. I see. That's another weird thing because, I, well, I guess we'll get there. Jesus Christ. I mean, Roger Deakins just won an Oscar for doing exactly what this guy did in the Copacabana sequence. Yep. He just did two hours of a Copacabana sequence in 1917. And he, this guy, who was this game? Michael Ballhouse? Yes. He, yeah. Yes. He did it f- uh, on film. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's so weird, man. The Oscars. The turns out kind of flawed. Um, best <laughs> actor. Jeremy Irons wins for Reversal of Fortune. Kathy Bates wins Best Actress for Misery. Uh, of course, Pesci wins for Goodfellas. And Whoopi Goldberg wins Best Supporting Actress for Ghost. That's okay. Here's the thing. There's an awesome one in here and a really bad one. Like, I do you really care for Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost? No, of course not. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci is obvious. Misery is a cool win, though. Yes. It's, it's just cool. I don't know what it is. It's just like, really? That one yeah. went oh, awesome. I mean, that was a star-making performance for Kathy Bates, too. I mean, yeah. I, I do love when an Oscar sort of is a coronation for a, a new upcoming star. Yeah. I felt that way about Olivia Coleman for uh, The Favorite, certainly. Yes, yes. One of my favorite speeches ever, by the way. Such a great speech. Yeah, Bates for Misery is a really good one. You're 100% right. Uh, actually, pretty good year for Best Actress. You got uh, Angelica Houston for The Grifters, Julia Roberts for Pretty Woman, Meryl Streep for Postcards from the Edge, and Joanne Woodward for Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. Hmm. Um, yeah, I still think, though, Lorraine Bracco should have won Best Supporting Actress. I don't know about you. Wow, hmm. Diane Ladd was nominated for Wild at Heart. Oh, hmm. I fucking love Wild at Heart, man. I still have not seen Wild at Heart. Uh, Wild at Heart is on my honorable mentions list, along with uh, Pretty Woman, which we took off at the last second, swapped it out for scissor hands. It'll be very clear that I really like Pretty Woman. I was never confident that it should have been nominated, though. Yeah, I just wanted to include it because we don't really talk about movies like that. I get that. I get that. But I mean, like, again, it has to be at least somewhat close, in my opinion. Yeah. There are plenty of really good rom-coms out there. And honestly, I just don't even think it's remotely clo- close to Edward Scissorhands. I don't. Okay. All right. 
Uh, Misery. Ghost. Which, by the way, number one highest grossing movie of the year. <laughs> Ghost. Weird. I know. Ghost. Crazy. Uh, Awakenings. De Niro, Williams. Uh, Penny Marshall, I think, directed, right? Not seen it. Oh, it's really good, man. Yeah. Awakenings is awesome, yeah. Gremlins 2, a favorite of yours. Uh, Troll 2. Uh, another Watak classic. Troll 2 came out? I didn't even know that. <laughs> Did come out in 1990. Wow. That long ago. You know, man, uh, Dick Tracy, not a good movie, but good Pacino performance. Happy 80th birthday to Al Pacino, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he just turned 80. Good for him. Happy birthday to the goat. Tremors. Ooh, one of our favorites. Yes. God, I love Tremors. Holy shit. Rob's favorite movie. It's Rob's favorite movie? Yeah. Rob ain't that bad of a guy. He's okay. No, he's pretty terrible, but he likes Tremors. Uh, Godfather 3, that movie doesn't exist. Uh, Kindergarten (laughs) Cop. One of these days we really need to have a Godfather 3 conversation because it's not that bad, dude. It just isn't. Kindergarten Cop, a better movie than Godfather 3. <laughs> Tell me Maybe. why I'm wrong. I'm going to be Steven Crowder sipping the glass in the uh, in the park. Convince me otherwise. <laughs> um. Well, it. Uh, wow. Uh, Sofia Coppola gets shot. That's a good point. But does she have a tumor? Ugh. Does she have a brain tumor? She got shot in the tumor, Nico. Okay. Postcards from the Edge just mentioned Carrie Fisher story. Uh, and you know what, man? King of New York almost got the nomination from me. Abel Ferrara. Oh. Yeah, maybe. You'll, you'd love King of New York. Abel Ferrara. Well... Maybe one of these days we'll do an Abel Ferrara. Have you seen Bad Lieutenant, the original? No. Oh, man. You You are missing out. You have a cultural blind spot, my friend. With Abel Ferrara? Hell yeah, man. Yeah. I I have a ton on my list that I'm still trying to see. Like I said, I'm always trying to see something new and classic. Dude, King of New York is so much fun. Walking, Fishburn. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Tarantino just did a podcast about it like a month ago. Tarantino's been doing podcasts. What is this? Yeah, man. He's all over the place. King of New York is so good, dude. You'd love it. Yeah. Um, National Film Registry put three movies in from 1990. They are Dances with Wolves, Goodfellas, and um, a movie called To Sleep with Anger. Okay. Which is a Danny Glover movie about a butler. I've not seen it. I have no idea why that's in there, but, uh, you know, the National Film Registry does some interesting things sometimes. It was culturally significant for the time. That's what it was. Yeah. Sometimes you go on the Wikipedia page for some of these movies because I'll have to Google some of these movies, not knowing what they are after I read about them. And the log line on the Wikipedia page is inducted into the National Film Registry. (laughs) And when that's like the most interesting thing about your movie, you probably shouldn't be in the National Film Registry. Yeah, that's too bad. They're weird some, sometimes. They usually, for me, for my money, they usually get it pretty much right. But every once in a while, you're like, wait, what? That one's in? Okay. Uh, let's get into this. First movie, Home Alone, mm-hmm. directed by Chris Columbus, written by John Hughes, starring Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, and John Candy as Gus yep. Polinsky, the name. king of the Midwest. 
Polka, polka, polka. <laughs> Never heard it? Polka, yeah, polka, no. polka. <laughs> polka king? Polka, no. polka twist? Polka twist. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could quote that entire thing he says. We oh sold 654 copies of that record. <laughs> in Chicago? No, Sheboygan. We're very big at Sheboygan. Oh, I miss John Candy. Don't we all? Don't we all? Nominated for two Oscars was Home Alone. Best original score and best original song. Yeah. John Williams score, right? Yep. It's a solid score. It's really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, an eight-year-old troublemaker must protect his house from a pair of burglars <laughs> when he is accidentally left home alone by his family during Christmas vacation. What a year for Joe Pesci. Yeah. I didn't even know this was the same year. I thought it was actually later than Goodfellas. Uh, I don't think that this is the first time I've said this in front of a microphone, but Home Alone 2 is the better Home Alone movie. Yeah, okay. You got Tim Curry in there. You got the Pigeon Lady in there. And, and... New York City in there. And who else? Our president, obviously. Our president of the United (laughs) States of America. (laughs) Yeah, that... I mean, it's the exact same movie. It is the exact same movie. It's the exact same movie in Manhattan. <laughs> That's my point. It is shamelessly the exact same movie. It is the yeah, defini- but it's in Manhattan. I mean, it's just it is, better. It is the definition of same movie with a different coat of paint. At least Gremlins Two was a different movie than Gremlins One. Yeah, but it's in Manhattan. I mean, it's just it's it's the Chicago suburbs. And it's New York City in Christ- okay. during Christmas time. I mean, that's... I don't know. It's not close, man. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I mean... I- uh, uh, <laughs> whatever. Nico, you're not convincing a jury here. That's the issue. <laughs> I just think, like, I, you know, one movie, Macaulay Culkin goes to the supermarket and gets some shaving cream, and in yeah. another movie, he goes to the fucking... You know, Carnegie Hall. You know what I okay. mean? The one thing that makes it better for me is that he kills the the the, the burglars in this. I mean, in Home Alone 2. Yeah. I mean, the, the things he, he does to them is cruel yeah. beyond belief. And I am... Uh, I, I sometimes come out in favor of, of, of what it, Marvin who? Harry. Marvin Harry, yeah. I, I, in that one, I kind of come out on top with Marvin Harry because I kind of feel bad for him. You do? <laughs> they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suck brick, kid! <laughs> wow. What a hole. One of my favorite quotes in movie history right there. Mine as well. Mine as well. <laughs> Yours and Zach's. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best. Just the best. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're you're actually right. Like the first movie is just sort of fun hijinks. I guess he yeah. steps on the nail in the first movie. That's pretty bad. Yeah, but like whatever. That's the worst thing ever. By the way. Oh my god, as a kid, that's the most scarring thing you've ever seen in your life. Horrible. I mean, second movie, he's just pelting them in the head with bricks and yeah. uh, you know lighting them on fire and stuff. <coughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of weird that Home Alone became what it is today yeah like Like, i don't know if you would have been able to pick it out of a lineup in 1990 and say like this is going to be an all-time christmas classic it's so weird yeah i mean it's so different than a lot of christmas classics i mean it's literally (laughs) literally about some guys invading your home during christmas the movie (laughs) had fun with home invasion (laughs) like what it's 
uh, and yes, of course we love the movie, but like, <laughs> it is an interesting film to be like, yeah, like how did this one become a classic with, with all things considered? I mean, I guess the family elements are strong. It's about family. It's about me, family. Me familia. <laughs> yeah. That's John Hughes though, dude. That That is the John Hughes effect. He just yeah. writes these silly premises with so much heart. Yeah. And sometimes it goes a little too far and I'm sure like this movie goes a little too far at times, but listen, with Catherine O'Hara, it gets home and, and hugs Macaulay Culkin in the living yeah. room. It's just tear jerking. I know. It's yeah. incredibly moving. And even all the stuff with the neighbor with the shovel and oh, yeah. all that stuff just has a lot of heart and soul. Um, yeah, I, I think just in general with Christmas movies, you don't know right away if they're going to be a classic or not. No, I mean, I mean Elf so was certainly that way. Yeah, remember when yeah. Elf came out? I mean, we were exactly at the right age. I mean, I was eight years old when Elf came out, two thousand three, and I think I saw it in the theater and adored it when I saw it in the theater. But by no means did I think I would be watching that movie on cable twenty years later. You know? No, but it's hard to identify like what makes like a great Christmas classic in a way because there again, there's so so many of them. You don't necessarily know if one's going to become like the movie that you watch every single year, though. It's I don't know it's it it's interesting because I here's the thing I would say Home Alone one is far more definitively the Christmas classic over Home Alone two yeah cer- certainly yeah but I mean both are still revisited a lot sure sure but I mean that one the first one is certainly more underlined but again like then you get like Gremlins is a Christmas movie but that ain't a Christmas classic right I so. mean I guess with the Christmas Prince I knew right away oh yeah there's no. <laughs> We're not comparing anything to Christmas Prince. That movie is better than The Godfather, full stop. Yeah, so. certainly. Uh, <laughs> honestly, you ask me right now, do I want to watch The Godfather 3 or do I want to watch Christmas Prince? I'm taking Christmas Prince 10 times out of 10. Uh, unfortunately, I might agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have to stress, by the way, in terms what? of Home Alone, like... Um, as much as I like love this movie, I, I don't have like a lot to elaborate on it with. Like, it's not a movie like I would necessarily pick apart, nor do I really want to. It's just like one of those nostalgic films that will always be one of our favorites. And, you know, it's beyond that, like the only interesting thing I, I could say about it is that like when I first saw it, I think it was the funniest movie I ever seen. Oh, yeah. When I was when I was a kid, like, oh, oh my yeah. God, was this not the funniest shit you ever saw? I wonder what they're going to do with this remake because they're doing a remake for Disney Plus. Are they a yeah. Home Alone remake? I, now I don't know if it's going to be a TV show or just one movie. I, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but they are revisiting the Home Alone extended universe. Um, <laughs> the extended and, universe. Yeah, people are not too happy about it. I I, I do wonder if you can uh, use the same level of violence nowadays than you could have in 1990. It's kind of like the Looney Tunes effect. Well, I was just about to say it is Looney Tunes violence. Right. It's like th- these things that should have like crushed their skulls a thousand times over. Oh, they just get hit with a brick, whatever. Oh, they just step on glass and their feet are perfectly fine and they're not yeah. bleeding at all. Sure. Oh, the God, I hate that when he steps on the ornaments. Oh, God, it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> they drop a tool shed. I think yeah. that's a sound of a tool shed <laughs> <laughs> or a tool chest cascading down the stairs <laughs> actually i think that's from part two as well isn't it, it? it is from part two oh dude. man part two is so much better <laughs> part two is so much better dude the the, the the it's more quotable that's certainly true well all right then what, hey, other, just what other reason is there to watch home alone just because it's more quotable doesn't mean it's better uh, it's better man yeah 
uh, okay, Th- that's Thunderdome is I mean, more. <laughs> I was gonna say Go Thunderdome ahead. is more quotable than the Road Warrior, but it ain't better. Who run Buttertown? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's Home Alone, man. What do you want us to say? Yeah, I, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it honestly is pretty short. Like honestly, it's just like everything about it is good, efficient, fun, and Macaulay Culkin is is a charming little child actor, and he does a good job. And it's a sweet ass film, and it's funny as hell. And Joe Pesci trying not to swear is never not funny. <laughs> Which is apparently what he was doing. He was just like mumbling and holding in swears. Right. And that was the performance. So. Yeah. I mean, as Pesci said many years later, it's what it is. <laughs> That's Home Alone, man. Is that all he said about it? It's what it is. Okay. Uh, all right. On for Red October. Yeah. Directed by John McTiernan, mm-hmm. master of 90s action. Yeah. Based on a novel by Tom Clancy. It's a yep. Jack Ryan movie starring Sean Connery. It's the first one, by the way. Yep. Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill, James Earl Jones, Jeffrey Jones, Stellan Skarsgård, Courtney B. Vance, and the aforementioned Tim Curry. Yep. Winner of Best Sound Effects at the Academy Awards, also nominated for Best Sound and Best Film Editing. By the way, they're combining sound effects mixing and sound effects editing at the Oscars this year. Re- Ooh, that's controversial. They're, they're finally doing it. It's yeah. about damn time, man. It's just best sound from here on out. Cool. In November 1984, the Soviet Union's best submarine captain and their newest sub violates orders and heads for the U.S. Is he trying to defect or to start a war? Um... You know how hard it is to make a good submarine movie? Uh, okay. <coughs> First of all, it's pretty much impossible. Um, impossible. There are... <coughs> boy, how many good ones are there? Um, I like Das Boot a lot, but it's it kind of overstays its welcome. Um, <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, <laughs> uh that's like saying, hey, honey, we're going to go for a little jog through the neighborhood, and then you run the Boston Marathon. <laughs> Talk about overstaying its welcome. Yeah, I think so, Adam. Go ahead. Uh, and I like Crimson Tide enough, but that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, this movie, I think I, I, my dad, I think, I want to say he rented it from Blockbuster, actually, when I was very young. And I remember thinking, like, there's no way I'm going to like this. And then we watched it, and it became a sick day film for me. And and I watch this movie all the time, Mm. and I absolutely love it. It's actually one of my uh, – is it a favorite? It could be a favorite of mine. I adore this movie. Certainly a cable favorite. Yeah. No question about it. I feel like it's on AMC and TNT all the time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just one that I've seen in bits and pieces over the years so many times. And, you know, there's just so many little scenes you can pick out. And it, it is it's like a little blanket. It's a safety blanket. This movie. I, I, I just think every time I watch it, I am in awe of like the scope of the action, despite it being a very claustrophobic movie. I know. Um, right. It's it's really hard to make a submarine movie because submarines by their nature are indetectable. So unless you set all of the action in a submarine and, you know, people are killing each other. <laughs> Uh, there's not much you can really do, but this movie finds a way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, this, just go ahead. Well, it's very like like you said, like a, a lot of it is not just dictated on the the action scene specifically, but 
a lot of times it can be just the way the characters talk about what's going on and the script is quite good. And there's a great moment that sort of encapsulates the whole film for me where they're, they, they find Red October, the Americans find Red October, and they realize how close the, the submarine actually is. Like, they're so close that they could hit them. And they, they, it's like a full stop. And then the guy's like, what's going on? And he's talking to, like, one of the communicators. And he's like, well, you know, we need to power down and be quiet. Otherwise, they're going to detect us. And the guy's like, okay, so what's the catch? And he's like, well, the catch is that a boat like this doesn't exactly stop on a dime. And if we're too close, we'll drift right into the back of them. And that entire... Just, just the way it's shot, the way he delivers the lines, the music is it, the entire movie for me. Yeah, everything that it, it's constantly happening, and oh, it's so thrilling. Yeah, it, it really ratchets up the suspense in such a unique way. It's kind of like you know, I think about Alien all the time with mm. uh, with Sigourney in the air duct or whatever. Yeah, uh, and you hear the beep, 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 so good. and all you're doing is watching a computer monitor with blinking dots. But Ridley Scott is able to pull so much tension out of something that's so mundane mm-hmm. and, and just so ordinary. Hunt for Red October does a lot of the same stuff. It, it asks you to stare at a computer monitor and be thrilled by it. Yep. Um, and it's obviously not as thrilling as Alien, but it does effectively sort of uh, walk you through the physical space. Yeah. And, you know, and, and help you conceptualize like 20,000 feet underwater. Oh yeah, in, and in an it. unbelievable way, you know, it 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 really is a an incredible feat of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, even though it's, like it's not as thrilling as say Die Hard, but it no. it it still works for two hours. You're never bored. It's it's I mean it's it's funny for me for my money it's like his McTiernan's third most thrilling film, and it's still fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean yeah, and I mean Jesus. It's weird because the movie is is this a lot of ways it is kind of a special effects heavy movie, but it still has it still holds up fairly well. I don't know what yeah. it is about that. Yeah, it, it works. It looks great, and the, the level of atmosphere on those submarines is just awesome. And again, yeah. if if you didn't have that, you you wouldn't have half the movie. So, and I mean, they also just fill these submarines with awesome character actors, mm. and that's always going to go a long way. I mean, Tim Curry is playing a nothing role in this movie. But he's uh, memorable. He's yeah, of course memorable. he's memorable. I, I just I I love when you know overqualified actors slum it in these small roles. Tim Curry is definitely sh- one of those people. Stellan Skarsgård is one of those people in this movie. Yeah. Sam Neill is like the fourth lead in this movie. Uh, I love Scott Glenn in this. I think Scott Glenn is just awesome mm-hmm. as the captain of the American ship. He's really um, good. And like even Baldwin, I- who at the time was just sort of emerging as a movie star, has such like movie star command here i mean he's really a revelation in this movie especially towards the end like like when he does finally have to hold the gun and get the guy like oh he's actually doing a fairly good job at it i mean a lot of that is his comedy chops but also like again comedy actors are really good actors because they they, it's easier to transfer from comedy to drama than the other way around no question. i know it's like it's surprising how good he is like when he finally has to shoot the guy and how much you believe the action when he finally does it Mm -hmm. but He's also, I think, perfectly cast as Jack Ryan because yeah. this is like the first time we've ever seen the character and the first time the character has ever gone on to do anything more than just be a uh, uh, a military writer because he just writes books about, you know, these these commanders or these war operations. He's not really, you know, he's not a military man. And to see him thrown into that and be cast as Alec or to have Alec Baldwin cast as that character, I think, is like next to perfect. Now, from what I understand, John Krasinski, although not a better actor than Alec Baldwin, I think is a little more appropriate for that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's, that's what I understand from fans of the books. 
I mean, again, I've never read The Hunt for Red October, but from what I understand the character is supposed to be in this movie, it certainly makes a lot of sense. It certainly feels appropriate. He's supposed to be a dweeb, though. Yeah, I know. And and Alec Baldwin is like a very handsome, traditional Hollywood leading man, and Harrison Ford ends up taking over the role after him. Uh, And actually, Ben Affleck does. in Eventually. (laughs) Eventually, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't mind the fact that, that he's a, he's a handsome movie star in this movie. I mean, maybe I am betraying the initial purpose of the character by saying that, but I think I would much rather see Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan than John Krasinski as Jack Ryan. Oh no. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It's just, he's just very charming and charismatic. I mean, again, I don't really care. I I didn't necessarily see him as like the, the, the attractive movie star in this. I saw him as what he's supposed to be. And the thing is, he's not like an unconfident dweeb. I mean, yeah, you could call him a nerd and whatnot, but he, it's very obvious very early on how good he is at taking charge of a moment. Even if he's just like sitting in a conference room trying to tell people who um, uh, Sean Connery's character is. What right. the hell is his name again? Uh, Ramius? Ramius? Ramius. Yeah. Uh, Ramius. Uh, Ramius. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to bite me, but I think that's that's exactly right. Yeah. By the really way, did. this is Connery's movie. Oh, yeah. It's so yeah. Connery's movie. It's crazy when you watch it, like how much Connery there is in it. You think that it's supposed to be Baldwin's movie, but... Sean Connery's actually the lead, and I think it's appropriate that he was top billed in this. Oh yeah, well he's quite good too, like really, really, really good. Yeah, it's sort I mean, of an under underrated performance in my book. Unconvincing as a Russian, but I guess that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, he's not from Russia. The character. Where is yeah, he they, from? They specify that he's Lithuanian. Still, I don't think that's a Lithuanian accent. How do you know? I don't know what a Lithuanian <laughs> accent is, but I'm pretty sure no man from Lithuania sounds like James Bond. <laughs> Nico, trust trust me. I know my, I hello money printer. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I know my Lithuanian accents. Don't you test me on Lithuania. It's just distracting. But here's the thing. Like either nobody does the accent or everybody does the accent. Like either you do what they did in death of Stalin, which is just everybody gets to be British living in Russia or like if Sam Neill's going to commit to be in Russian, Sean Connery better commit to be in Russian too. Mm-hmm. No, you know I, know, what I mean, I know. my, the best example recently was Chernobyl where everyone was just English, but they just yeah. committed to that wholeheartedly and it just fit and you, and you forgot about it and you still ended up believing that they were all Russian. Right. And they all speak English, even though they, you know, live there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I, again, I'm cool with that. It's just that, you know, there are times when Sam Neill is speaking Russian and, and it's, you know, with that heavy accent, even though he's from New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and then Tim Curry just comes out like Dr. Frankenfurter <laughs> just talking in the normal Tim Curry voice. It's very distracting. It's very, yeah. it's very distracting that the Russians are all like, you're not casting Dolph Lundgren as the Russians here. You're well, casting just like a lot of British character actors. Well, the the problem as well is that with a movie that is actually going for a certain degree of realism here, yeah. you you watch that for the first time and you're like, wait, what are you supposed to be? Yeah, you know. So so there is a slight inconsistency there, but it it, it never really takes me out of the experience. I I adjust to it rather quickly. So yeah, it's it's fine. It's I a mean, it, it's, it's a blemish, but like whatever, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it, it's just, uh, it's just an awesome cable movie. I, I don't think it's like an all time great action movie. I don't think John McTiernan made a ton of those. I think he only made like two classic action movies and then the rest were pretty good. 
And I think that this is like a, a tier above pretty good. I think this is like a solid four star movie um, that I would I th- I'd, I'd watch say it's on very cable good. whenever it's on. Yeah, I think it's it, it is very good. Four stars is very good. <laughs> That's yeah. a very, very good score. Uh, and yes, this is certainly that. Yeah, I love I love this movie and I, I will continue to watch it over and over again. It's probably the best uh, Clancy movie. I like this one more than Patriot Games. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. All right, Total Recall. Ooh. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Based on the short story by Philip K. Dick. You know, the more sci-fi I watch, the more I just realize that Philip K. Dick invented everything. Mm-hmm. It just, it's all Philip K. Dick. It's crazy, dude. Oh, because we, yes, of course. Once Blade Runner came out and people realized, oh, this guy's material is like ripe with everything that we can use to make movies better. That's what they did. And this, this movie again is very evident of that. I mean, it's like you watch the matrix and there's the red pill scene in the matrix. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea of like dreams and, and, uh, uh, artificially inseminated reality. Mm -hmm. That's a weird phrase, but you know, like, uh, uh, mind control and all that stuff. And and I, I think, isn't there a scene in total recall where Schwarzenegger literally takes a red pill? Is that before he goes into, uh, the, the, when he goes into recall? No, when they, when the guy pretending to be, um, from the, from the recall corporation comes mm-hmm. to his hotel room and is like, here, take the red pill and all this dream will end. Oh, and you might be right, actually. So there's literally the same scene as in the matrix, like 10 years later, except it's just played a little differently. Well, that's the thing though, dude, you see it referenced constantly. You know, you can't really sell uh, Philip K. Dick's work short ever because it's, it's always there. It's still going too. I mean, I still see films that reference everything he does. I mean, that's in ex machina is entire entirely owes a debt to his work. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, this movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, Rachel yeah. Tia T. T. Cotin, Ticketon, Sharon Stone, and Michael Ironside, one of the great actor names of all time. Nominated for Best Sound and Best Sound Effects at the Oscars and was a winner of a Special Achievement Oscar in Visual Effects back in 1990. When a man goes for virtual vacation memories of the planet Mars, an unexpected and harrowing series of events forces him to go to the planet for real. In quotes. Yeah. Maybe. Um, Maybe. Maybe. We talk a lot of Verhoeven on this show. Yes, we do. We spent a lot of time talking about Verhoeven. And as we should, goddammit. Yeah, I'm not sure like if you went to film school there would be a lot of Verhoeven on the curriculum, but I, I think like this is this is what our film school would look like, you know? Okay, th- like th- this is the thing, because you're right, but y- there's there's that clip of um of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson talking about how he was pissed off that a professor didn't want them to write Terminator two and that we, a lot of film students like us would treat the same treat Verhoeven in the same light with a lot of his movies. We'd go in and be like, why can't we write RoboCop or total recall for that matter? You know, stuff like that. And, uh, that's just because dude, uh, like Verhoeven's earlier films are just awesome. Mm. Oh my God, dude, they're so fucking dope. And, will always be some of my favorites. I saw this film when I was 10. Whoa. Yeah. You were exposed to three titties at 10 years old? Yeah, I was, man. <laughs> I will never forget it. Did saw that it. mislead you the first time you had sex? Were you searching <laughs> is, for the third nipple? 
what the hell? Where's the other one? <laughs> what the hell is this? Yes, that's exactly what happened. Okay. Exactly what happened. Um, here's the thing. Um, this is not my favorite Verhoeven film. However, I think there's an argument to be had that this is his best. Um, I think RoboCop is... Uh, it, it's probably my favorite, and I also think like it has the most coherent commentary. And and it also doesn't have Arnold in it. But I, I don't know. Does Arnold make it better or worse? I'm not sure. No, this is the thing I, I, I have to say is that I think he's actually pretty good in the movie. Yeah, I, I do think he's good in the movie too. But the thing is when you cast Arnold, it's like all of a sudden the meaning of your movie takes a, you know, it's, it takes a, it's a, the, a total it's jag, you know? It's the predator effect where it's like, oh, right. Fuck you movie. It's like, eh. Which, which bothers well, not, me. Not fuck you. I, I don't feel that way, at least when I see an Arnold movie. No, 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 I, I do I, feel like I'm watching a different product. No, but that's the thing. It's like you you inherently don't take it as seriously as you sometimes should, depending on the film. It's certainly right. the case with this, where it's like yeah. it's not an Arnold film in the way that Commando is an Arnold film. Not at all. Or in the way that Running Man is an Arnold no, film. No, no, not, not at all. Right. Um. Yeah, so I think like having Arnold in the movie changes the meaning of the movie inherently. That happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's not as violent as um, as RoboCop. I don't think it's as biting as Roto- RoboCop. I don't think that it goes to the jugular in the same way that RoboCop does. Um, but it's certainly a ton of fun. And in fact, it might be more fun than RoboCop. Well, this is what I'm saying. I think as far, cause as much as I adore RoboCop, it's, I would say the filmmaking is not as elevated there as it is here. I actually think this is a much better, it's much more coherently made film. There's not as many janky elements when the violence is used. It's, it's, it's far more, uh, like like careful because it can get violent, but um, it's not as like just ridiculous and over the top as Robocop often is. Mm. And uh, yeah, I would say just as far as like a work of constructed cinema and making an awesome thriller experience, this is maybe uh, Verhoeven's best work. Mm. Uh, awesome creatures. Oh my God. Dean Norris is in this. Did you know that? Dean Norris. Yes. He plays the buddy at the, at the bar, right? The, he's got the weird vagina face. Yes, 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 yes. It's like one of his first performances. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he goes on to star in, uh, not star in, but he's a supporting role in a uh, uh, starship troopers as well. I did not know that. Or maybe I yeah. noticed it when we watched it, but I don't remember him in that. He's in starship troopers. Okay. All right. A Verhoeven favorite. Yeah, I guess so. Weirdly. <laughs> Dean Norris. <laughs> Yeah, uh, awesome production design. Uh, oh, yeah. Sharon Stone is in it and is hot as always. Uh, mm-hmm. I, not quite at the peak of her powers. It's not quite basic instinct, Sharon Again, Stone. It's cool to see Sharon Stone in this anyway, though. Consider always. it to the force. Always oh, cool. Always cool line. to see Sharon Stone. Yeah. <laughs> do you like this more than basic instinct? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I do, too. I do, too. It, it, no, it is like objectively better than basic instinct, although don't want to sell basic in- instinct short at all. So. We don't have enough filmmakers like Paul Verhoeven today. No, but I, I don't think know that's how he, the problem. He is so distinct in a, in a way that I because it's weird because he makes like very like like kind of like in a lot of ways it can be low art fair, but like elevates it in such an interesting way that is so obviously him. He really does feel like an, an, another Hitchcock extension in a lot of ways. Oh, OK. Not really the comparison I would use, but OK, I see kind of what you're saying. 
But I, I do. I mean, like Hitchcock, like with the look of Hitchcock films, I would even say that. Like their films look very similar in a lot of ways. Their production design. Yeah, their production design, e- even though it's very good, is like the lighting is always very, very flat. And all and, and in a way always feels incredibly stagey at, at times, but they just know how to maneuver it and work it. And it, it's always thrilling and exciting. And I would say like the music uh, emulates that. And even some of the stories as well. Basic Instinct is just a Hitchcock film. Mm. It's just the most erotic version of a Hitchcock film. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's just the naughtiest version of a Hitchcock film. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think like... Um you know, th- there's a universe where Paul Verhoeven is just making like, like art films in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. you know, and, th- and you would never have heard of his name. And he's just like making absurdist art for like a very small audience that, and, and just dies and you, you would have never heard of him, but yeah. it's similar to the way that David Lynch sort of latched onto the studio system. Paul Verhoeven just found himself in the height of, of nineties sci-fi and, really went for it and allowed himself to be weird with a big studio budget. And I just don't think we have any guys like that anymore. I just feel like if you're making big budget stuff or if you're dealing with genre, you're so self-aware and so calculated and so paint by numbers. Uh, I, I guess part of the reason why is because Disney controls all of the major studios now. But I, I just, I guess Jordan Peele is the closest we have to Verhoeven that's working with like big budget genre stuff. Yeah. But, but even, even Jordan Peele though is, is a little too self-aware. And also, I would also say a little self-serious. Yeah. Right. The thing, like, like here's the thing, like Verhoeven is weird, like weird, weird, like quirky weird at times. Yeah. Um, is there any director that has been like this weird, but this successful, I guess? Cause I would say he's more successful than David Lynch. David Lynch is a different flavor of weird, but like, I mean like, like populist weird that, that I guess that's what I would call. Well, I, I don't think David Lynch is going for populism. No, no, not at all. I, I, but I do think like Verhoeven wants his movies to be seen by massive audiences. I mean, yes. he cares that his movies are seen by massive audiences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really think of one though. Yeah. I can't think of a guy that that's this quirky that's been given such a long leash by the studio system. It is very unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't see how we get a total recall today. No, actually we did get a total we recall did, today. It wasn't but, like this though. No, but it, I, I did not see that movie. Did you see it? It's a Len Weissman. I've seen like parts of it. It's so boring. It's boring. Yeah. That's what I figured. I figured that it would just be flavorless and boring and just, yeah. you know, Blade Runner, uh, karaoke, and yep. I think that's basically what it is, right? That it it's, couldn't couldn't be closer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, but uh, this movie is not. This movie is so colorful in its cinematography, yep. uh, so awesome in its in its uh, its action, uh, and like there are just some awesome creatures. The creature in the guy's yeah. tummy is yeah. disturbing as hell, man. Every like again, it's got one of those like Blade Runner esque like bar scenes where they just go to like inspect everything, and then the, the people they run into is just wonderful. And there's so many lively characters. But that's the other thing; they're not. It's not just like the cantina scene. They interact with these people, right? And a woman exposes her three boobs, and it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm never gonna forget that. How could you? <laughs> yeah, so. it's such an awesome world. Uh, and it, you know what? It's a pretty good mystery underneath it all. I like it as a mystery. Um, 
I, it's it's more interesting. As, well, what do you mean? Like like in in deciphering whether or not everything that was happening was real or fake? Yeah, I think just watching the plot unravel is, for the most part, pretty compelling. And I, I do think that this movie has a lot to say uh, under the surface, even though I think first and foremost, it's an escapist sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have quite a bit to say about like identity. I, I really like how in the third act of this movie, old Schwarzenegger and new Schwarzenegger or post mind wipe Schwarzenegger and pre mind wipe Schwarzenegger are put at odds with one another and yeah, they're like treated true. as two different people. I just think that's so fascinating. That's true. That, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, uh, you take away the memories, you take away the life experiences of a person and they're forever changed because of it. You know, yes. it's sort of this interesting idea that it's like, you know, the guy before all this was totally fine wiping out a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, for, for like political gain. But the guy that has no memory of any of this ends up doing the right thing. And it's sort of this idea that like you are defined by your life experiences more than who you are innately. Well, the the th- well in a way, yeah. I mean, again, this calls back to Blade Runner and the 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 theme, the constant theme of memories, where it's like, does it really matter if they're constructed or artificial if your experiences with them are real? Does right. it really matter if this was implanted? Does it really matter if this world you're living in is, is a simulation? If the the way you naturally respond to it is still very authentic. Yeah. You know, it, it says a lot about like the, the, the human condition or just like, like you said, identity and how that, you know, the, the lines kind of get blurred regardless of the, uh, regardless of how it's like kind of viewed on the surface. If you're thrown into that situation, a lot of interesting things can happen from it, which they do in this. I agree with that. Yeah. I like this movie a lot. I love I this like movie. It a lot. And it, and it is certainly one of Verhoeven's best. And, uh, I think a worthy nominee here on this list. I do have to say though, the, the, the way they conclude the the plot, I guess, by um, um, melting Mars's ice core is so incredibly stupid. I can't possibly articulate it, but whatever. Is that what they do? Yeah, they terraform Mars by um, melting the core with hot rods, and then the steam comes up and creates an atmosphere. Yeah, I thought like the aliens just put a bunch of oxygen in canisters and just unleashed it onto the... No, that's not what happens. First, Michael Ironside loses his arms. I remember that. Yep, And then they go up to the the little control center thing and uh, yeah, they melt Mars's core and that's a great idea. I mean, can't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It could hurt. It could only destroy the planet. Yeah, there's there's also that. Yeah, Total Recall. Watch it if you haven't. I think it's dope. streaming on HBO or something. Showtime, maybe. Such a dope movie. Miller's Crossing. Oh, yeah. Written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, starring Gabriel Byrne, Marsha Gay Harden, John Turturro, John Polito, and Albert Finney. Nominated for zero Academy Awards. Tom Reagan, an advisor to the Prohibition-era crime boss, tries to keep the peace between warring mobs but gets caught in divided loyalties. Uh, Miller's Crossing is uh, is an interesting movie, for me yeah. at least. Um, I think the first time I saw it, as was the case with actually a fair amount of Coen Brothers movies, I was very confused. I was having a hard time following the plot. Yeah. And um, 
I, I don't think that's coincidental. I think Joel and Ethan Cohen very purposely made this a convoluted plot. And there are stories, of course, about the writing of the screenplay. As they were working on the screenplay, they got tremendous writer's block. They didn't know how to finish this story, this this uh, this intricate web of relationships and uh, and uh, loyalty and double crossing. So they went and wrote Barton Fink. Yeah, like during a three week break, and they came back to this movie and uh, and finished it off. And you know, I, I the movie certainly doesn't hold your hand plot wise no. and I think the first the first time you watch it that can be a little off-putting and I I think with like a lot of mainstream audiences that might be a little off-putting but the more I've seen the movie the more I've really fallen in love with it and I actually think that it's one of the Cohen's most underrated movies and I, I think I would put it uh maybe top five I think I would I think I'd put a top five all-time Cohen's I adore oh, this that's, movie. that's yeah that's tough I I uh, pretty much love this movie as well I'm not sure if I put it in top five though it's a tough list. Yeah, well, the top ten for the Coens is just like it's, it's excruciating, but it's. I mean, top top ten, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not. I don't know if I'm saying top five. That's tough. But because I had a similar experience with this, where it's like the first time I watched, I picked up like I feel like a, a great deal of what, what was going on. But I, I think immediately I was like, yeah, I need to watch that one again. <laughs> Yeah, because the thing the thing is though, I might not have said that about another convoluted movie because so often when you get movies like this, um, they can really lose me. I mean, if I'm if the movie is is this all over the place and the characters suck, I'm just not going to be interested in watching it again. But luckily, uh, I really really love these people, and. I love this intricate web that they're involved in. I love their conversations. Uh, and regardless as to how confusing the movie can be, it is just a, a ton of fun. And it is, it's surprisingly rewatchable. And I was, Oh actually, yeah. I will. I, I was actually like pleased with how quickly I went back to it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Every time I catch it on cable yet, yeah, it is, you're right. It's surprising how individual scenes still hold up. Because mm-hmm. it's such a convoluted story, and the movie is so plot heavy, you figure like you have to watch it from beginning to end in order to get a full understanding of it. You feel like individual scenes wouldn't hold up on their own, but that is certainly not the case, and that is not the case with most Coen Brothers movies. Like there are a lot of great individual scenes. Obviously, the scene in the woods is just iconic. Oh yeah, um, and and it's incredible. But like this, all this stuff with the cops, like when the cops are like raiding the warehouse. And just like breaking windows and shit. Yeah. And then, you know, Gabriel Byrne just walks up to one of the cops and they just start a casual conversation. <laughs> it is so hilarious, dude. Yep. This movie is so funny. Yeah. Um, and it's funny in that Coen Brothers way, not in not in just like there are jokes in the script, but atmospherically it's funny. And it's funny in, in its character work. And uh, yeah, you're right. It is way more watch- rewatchable than you would think. Mm hmm. I mean, it, like the funny stuff too. I mean, it, I was, I think I was surprised by how funny this movie actually is. Like where he's about to get beat up by the heavy who's played by Mike Starr yeah. and he just hits him with the chair. <laughs> the guy just like <laughs> pathetically walks away. Jesus, Tommy, like practically <laughs> it's like crying. Well, it's the bullet build up to that scene too, because like he takes off his jacket, he rolls up his sleeves and you're waiting, 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 waiting. And then it's just, rather than a fight scene, all out fight scene is just one hit and it's over. Yeah. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Yeah. And there's a ton of that in the movie. But the, again, the movie is also not afraid to get like dark. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a grim movie, but like there are many, many moments that are 
plenty tense and 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 kind of nail cynical. It's a cynical yeah. movie. Sure, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, then most Coen Brother movies are. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, what else was I gonna say about this one? Um, oh, I wanted to comment by the way that this was the last movie that Barry Sonnenfeld shot for them before. Oh, they really? To, yeah, before they went to Roger Deakins for Barton Fink. Okay. And he does a hell of a job with it. He does actually. Very good cinematographer. Yeah. So. Uh, not as great a director as a cinematographer, but that's not true. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Just an awesome cast of characters. I don't think I picked up the first time that there was like a gay love triangle going on with the Dane and uh, and Totoro and shit. Oh wow. Oh, I missed that entirely. You missed that entirely? Yeah. Okay, so there. So the first time I watched it, because they make a, uh, I think Gabriel Byrne makes mention to Totoro about how, oh, uh, your friend wouldn't like it if he found out that you were close with another dude. But they like say it in that, you know, prohibition era. It, it's all, uh, you know, it's, it's all uh, said without really being said. I see. And it's subtle, and I had no idea that that's what was going on there. Hmm. But yeah, there's some like gay shit going on, <laughs> and that's like the driving force of the end of that movie. That's why, uh, that's why mm-hmm. uh, Totoro ends up killing the guy and putting him in and and throwing him in the woods. Okay, because in- because he was sleeping with the Dane. All right then, didn't know. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. So you've yeah. seen this movie multiple times. You had no idea, right? You just figured out yeah. oh, they're just mobsters, so they backstab each other. Okay, but here's my question. Is that a criticism, though? It could be. I don't know if it is. is I don't know it, if it is. Well, is it not the responsibility of the filmmaker to at least make a greater indication of a plot element like that if it's it's that important? Um, well, I, mean, they I, are, I, I, but they are the storytellers is what I'm saying. Well, let me ask you this though. You, the movie still works for you, even though you didn't know that detail. Yeah, sure. Sure. So it, the it, movie it, didn't need the detail in order for it to have an impact. No. Yeah. Not, I'm just saying not necessarily in the way that I'm sure the Coen brothers fully intended. I mean, I guess that's not necessarily that important to me because it does work. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know if that's what they intended. I don't know. I mean, I think a part of it is it's supposed to be ambiguous. Yeah. Like, I, it, I don't think like they're supposed to beat you over the head with this much like in the 1920s, this wouldn't have been a talking point. Yeah. This wouldn't be common knowledge. This would be something that was kept in the dark, would kept in the shadows. You know, yeah. it's appropriate. Sure. You know, it just does beg the question. Like if you, if that is somewhat integral to the story, wouldn't you want the audience to, to know it? But I don't know. Because you're right, it does work, so maybe I, I shouldn't complain. So, By the way, uh, Totoro's lover, played by Steve Buscemi, I'm, I'm yep. sorry I didn't keep him on the, put him on the cast list, but <laughs> there you go. I'd also like to comment, there is a great scene where Sam Raimi gets shot. Oh yeah, Sam Raimi is in this movie. Yeah, plays the guy yep. with the dueling uh, um, um, revolvers who gets yep. shot up. It's great. Yep. Uh, really good. Uh, obviously, yeah, that wood scene is, by the way, later... Uh, uh, paid homage to in season two of Fargo. Really? They literally just do the scene again. Interesting. Okay. okay. But it's a different ending and different circumstances, obviously. But yeah, they, they just do the scene again. Is season two of Fargo any good? It is tremendous. Okay. I, was, I, I, I prefer it. it to season one. Really? Yeah. 
All right. Well, okay. actually, season two is very Miller's Crossing in that it's about dueling mob families. Oh, okay. Is it? Does it take place in Fargo at all? It does, but it's a period piece. It's like it's like forty. I think it was the seventies. So it was like forty years before, thirty years before the the first season of Fargo. Okay. Yeah, it's and it's actually shot sort of similar way, similar color palette. I see. Um, it's not a New Orleans. Uh, this is a New Orleans movie. This took place in New Orleans, I think. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that, but um, yeah, there's a lot of Miller's Crossing in it, and mm-hmm. and that one scene in particular is just a clear homage. And really also by scene, the awesome ending. Oh, yeah. L- love the end when he goes look into your heart, and Gabriel mm-hmm. Byrne goes what heart? What heart? Great moment. Awesome I, 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 movie stuff. The movie's just full of great little like like for unforgettable scenes too. And I, you know, this is a big, uh, big point that I judge a lot of movies on. Just like what do I take away from it that was memorable and impactful and so on. And I mean, like the Albert Finney Tommy gun scene is so dope. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> does it get much better than that it doesn't this is the coens <laughs> no, man no no dude, the coens are the fucking best dude and again like like very it honestly it's it's a lot different from what they would normally do i think like i i mean i don't know i haven't seen them do a movie like this in a while or at least since i mean really what else is there the man who wasn't there i guess i mean aesthetically i do think of barton fink in a way but yeah you know. yeah 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 that's about it, I guess. But they're yeah. very different movies, yeah. No, I, I want to see another, like, yeah, like, intricate crime tale. I would love yeah. to see them do something like that again. Mm-hmm. And I also have to comment in terms of intricate crime tales. I don't come down on it too hard because it's so obviously a noir film, like a neo-noir. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, neo-noirs are always, or not even neo-noirs, but just noirs, period, are convoluted as hell and hard to follow. And there's so much plot, but that's part of the fun, I guess, so... Mm. Can't really fault him too much for that. No, I, I don't fault him at all. I, I, it's the same thing happened, ironically, the first time I saw Big Lebowski. I, yeah. I understood the plot, but I was so distracted by it that I missed a lot of the humor. And then I went back a second time and realized, oh, yeah, none of this fucking matters. I'm just going to laugh at Donnie yeah. saying, I am the walrus at the bowling alley. <laughs> the fact that I ar- ar- arrived at <laughs> um, uh, the Big Lebowski at, at a point in my life as a sort of contemporary neo-noir right? <laughs> like it kind of is that when you when you think about it oh definitely no question i mean it's a lot of genres but like the fact that it, it steers into that so much i was like why didn't i never why did i never think of this as a noir and until i realized like oh just imagine the dude is a detective which he kind of is and it's like right. oh yep that's 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 it yeah uh, give this one a look, and if you're confused the first time, go to Wikipedia, look up the plot summary, and <laughs> actually, you know what? Maybe read the plot summary. I would n- usually never condone this. Read the summary ahead of time, and then go into the movie, and you may actually yeah. enjoy it a lot more. It, but it does deserve multiple viewings. It really does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of their that's, one of their best. I hundred uh, percent agree with you. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Ooh. This is a director that we just don't talk about at all. No. I think for good reason. Uh, well, you have directed no by Tim Burton. So. Tim Burton. Tim Burton directed this. Tim Burton, yeah. Starring Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Diane Weist, Anthony Michael Hall, Alan Arkin, who I love in this movie, and oh, Vincent yeah. Price, nominated for Best Makeup at the Academy Awards, an artificial man who is incompletely constructed and has scissors for hands, leads a solitary life. Then one day... A suburban lady meets him and introduces him to her world. <sighs> yeah, this is usually the type of movie that I just despise. 
Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I usually hate it. Maybe I just saw this one at the right point in my life. Um, maybe it's just because of that Seinfeld episode where Jerry's barber is obsessed with Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> I love it. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> That's what like, like peaked you off to this movie. You ever seen a man with the scissors in different hands? <laughs> That's what got you to watch this. Enzo. I think his name is Enzo cries at the end. Edward Scissorhands. I think so, actually. Yeah, I think I watched this because of Seinfeld. I think so. Yeah, I think. I think. Um, Yeah, normally I just hate it. Normally this is just like quirky Wes Anderson bullshit. Um, Tim Burton is not my taste. You know, it's one of the reasons why I hated Shape of Water, too. Like, I just don't like (laughs) modern fairy tales about fishes fucking people or uh, in this case, dudes with scissor hands. But you know what I think it is? Honestly, I'm just going to boil this down to uh, to the, the basics here. I just find a dude with scissor hands funny. Yeah, it is funny. I just think it's funny that the guy has scissors for hands. And I think it's funny that he keeps stabbing himself in the face and then he pops a waterbed. And I don't think that my enjoyment of the movie goes much further than that. Do you not like this movie? No, I like it just fine, but I don't think I like it for the same reason that most people like it. Oh, is it that? Because I like almost everything. I love this movie. Okay. I love it. And the best way, I mean, honestly, Gary Oldman said it best. Gary Oldman has the best anecdote about this movie. And it echoes my feelings uh, quite aptly where he was originally offered the role for Edward. And he read the script. A lot of people were. Yeah, I know, but he was you know like who, a fav- who, who Depp's first choice was. Who Cruz could have done it. He wouldn't have done it though. <laughs> could have done it. I don't uh, think Tom Cruise in 1990 had any interest putting white makeup on and having scissors for hands. No, this thing is like nobody did. It was that was part of the problem. But I think right. like Gary Oldman was like a favorite. Uh-huh. And, he, and he reads the script and he's like, "Dude, I'm sorry, I can't do this movie. I don't understand it at all, at all, at all." And then. Finally, they eventually cast Johnny Depp and they make the movie. And then um, Gary Oldman goes to, I think, the premiere and he and he sits down and the movie starts playing. And what he says is like, yeah, initially I didn't understand the, the script at all. And then when I'm finally sitting in, in the theater and I'm watching it and you get like the first like like five minutes of the movie and the camera is panning over these 1950s multicolored houses. And then it looks up and you see this Dracula's castle on a hill. And I basically said okay i get it right (laughs) and that's exactly how i feel about this movie yeah that's all i need and honestly that is the power of like a really wonderful film where it's like you understand exactly what the entire conceit is in like one shot well also this is a conceit that should not work on paper and it's like a silly idea that johnny that tim burton they're inseparable at this point johnny Depp and tim burton they're the same man in my brain this is an idea that that tim burton had as a child right yeah he had just been, I guess, told this story by his mom or like he invented the story himself. And for years he wanted to make this movie. And it is exactly the type of story that an eight year old would come up with. Um, mm-hmm. Just doodling with some crayons. He would draw a guy with scissors for hands. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it has that like childlike quality, not just in depth performance, but also in the storytelling. Uh, it just feels like a, a, a children's bedtime tale. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it is very over the top in that way. 
And look, normally that doesn't work for me, but yeah, I, I think number one, I find it very funny and entertaining as like yep. just a work of writing and a work of performance. I actually think Johnny Depp is really good in the movie. Me too. Um, but also it's, it's authentic in, um, in, in, in the way that, that Burton treats the material. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he takes the thoughts of an eight-year-old boy seriously, and he doesn't lose sight of that childlike wonder that he had when he first invented the story. And I think that that comes through. There, there is not a a tinge of disingenuousness to this story. There's so much love for the material, though. That's yeah. The thing that I, I responded to more than just the fact that it is a, you know, a modern fairy tale, but just the amount of heart that is put into every thing about the movie not just again not just the performances and the writing but the, the production of the film is so well realized and again feels like it's lifted from the guy's head which is what i love so much about the film yeah. but um a lot of it is just like even the um the relationship that develops between edward and winona Ryder's character i think is not only is it like really beautiful to watch but like oddly relatable and something like a lot of like if you were an outsider like an outsider and it really bothered you. Uh, this film I think speaks to all those people. It's one of the reasons why like my older brother loves this film so much. Mm-hmm. Why it's like one of his favorites is because even though it is a movie about a guy who has fucking scissors for hands, um, it's just, it's just a beautiful story about how that person learns to love somebody and it's great. And it's, com- you know, completely authentic in my eyes. And it's, it's weird that anybody would see themselves in a character like that, but you do. Yeah, as a man that's always been accepted by everyone around him, Adam, I've seen no uh, similarities. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah? I, yeah, I have yeah. a hard time with that. Yeah. I mean, I've just like experienced nothing but love from everyone I've ever come into contact with. So, <laughs> Visual gag to, 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 to everybody, by the way. I just looked around the room as soon as he said that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, it's you know what? Sometimes, Adam, it's tough to fit in. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I love Alan Arkin in this. I, I really just like it as a comedy. I, I don't mean to. Uh, Is that all you like it as? I don't mean to undersell the movie because, again, I think that it's a good movie with a lot of awesome craft. And I, I much prefer early Tim Burton to late Tim Burton where he just oh, yeah, became a, a parody of himself. Mm-hmm. Late Tim Burton is just garbage. Um, similar to late Wes Anderson, but like early Tim Burton, the Batman Tim Burton, the Pee Wee's Big Adventure Tim Burton, and the Edward Scissorhands Tim Burton is just so full of heart, and the production design is so unique. And the first time you see it, you're like, "Wow, I've never seen anything like this put to film yeah. before." Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I think, is the definitive Tim Burton movie. It's to me, it's it's definitely his best movie. It's not my favorite of his. Beetlejuice will always be my favorite, but um, okay, this yeah, this is definitely better. It's kind of funny with with Burton. He kind of started as a franchise filmmaker. He kind of took the Didn't, opposite yeah, trajectory right. as cuz I I always think of Scissorhands and Beetlejuice as some of his earlier movies, but Pee-wee was I think his first was his first big screen movie, I think. Was it? I think it was his first feature. I didn't know that. Let me look that up. But I I think Pee-wee was first, then he went to Beetlejuice, then he did Batman. Yep. So he's working within intellectual property the first couple go-rounds, and then he does Edward Scissorhands. Normally, you see the opposite. Normally, you is, see a guy that does something really quirky and outside the box, and the Beetle- studio system sucks him in, you know? Beetlejuice isn't intellectual property, is it? No, Beetlejuice is not, but, but Pee-wee and Batman are. Okay. You know? My God, I love Beetlejuice. Yeah, Beetlejuice is fun. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think he did a bunch of shorts. Okay. 
He and did a short of Frankenweenie. Oh, yeah, Frankenweenie. Oh, boy. Which was a Disney production, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hansel and Gretel, he did as a short. Yeah, so he did a bunch of shorts, but then, yeah, ended up doing Pee-wee as his first feature, which is a weird first feature, but... Um, it's kind of cool, though. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd certainly prefer this Burton, and I, I do respect it and its ambition, and I actually think that it's a very touching story. Yes. But I... I I do think that I watch it as a comedy first and foremost. I think I watch just Alan Arkin being like, Hey Ed, how you doing Ed? Mm-hmm. You're giving him the booze and whatnot. That's yeah. I got to, got to grease those scissors, Ed. <laughs> just his total yeah. indifference as like a, as a, as a suburban husband. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not, not like the most memorable character of the movie, but he's really good. Yeah. Everything about the movie is really good. Like even like the supporting performances by the the housewives who are just infinitely entertaining to watch, especially yeah. the one who's uh, kind of horny. A little weird, but great stuff. Tim Burton should do a Dr. Seuss movie. How did Tim Burton not do that? That's Grinch? a great point. Yeah, I don't know. How did Ron he- Howard do the Grinch? That's so bizarre to me. Well, I, the funny thing is I've always said that the Grinch feels like a Tim Burton film. Right. But... But you see this movie and it's like every house in this neighborhood is like a pastel color. Yeah, it should be. It, it looks exactly like something from a Dr. Seuss story, but yeah. You know, it's just the generic neighborhood. The, 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 the wardrobe is very Dr. Seuss. Well, what are we missing from Dr. Seuss? What has not been adapted? Well, they've all been adapted, but they're all pretty shitty. That's the problem. Is there a good Dr. Seuss adaptation? I like The Grinch, but I don't acknowledge it as like a great American film. And yeah. Cat in the Hat is atrocious. Mm-hmm. Cat in the fucking hat. Oh, my God. I hear Horton Hears a Who is okay, I guess. I saw it. Uh. Yeah. Did you see Dumbo? No. Apparently, it was not good. Yeah. Man, so. what happened to old Tim? Yeah, whatever. I didn't see Big Eyes. I'll give you that. I did not see Big Eyes. I like Big Eyes a lot. Okay, I heard Big Eyes is okay. Really good. But look at this garbage. Dark Shadows, Alice in Wonderland, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd's great. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's not good. Ugh. Yeah. Sweeney Todd's about the only good thing he's made recently, aside from Big Eyes. Anything else about the Edoist is a hands? <laughs> nah. Hey, it, I, I love it, but... <laughs> okay. You're whatever about it. Just be honest. I'm not whatever. I just... You know... You're wishy-washy with it. I'll say that. I just prefer when he's poking holes into water beds. That's fine. And he's walking around with that pouty look on his face. <laughs> Great movie. Depth's really good. Depth's really yeah. good. All right. Yeah. Uh, Goodfellas. Yes. Movie uh, that... Uh, have we ever talked about Goodfellas on a podcast before, Adam? Us? I'm not sure what your thoughts are on Goodfellas. Oh, have I? Yeah. No, has, it ever, no. has it ever come up before? No. You know, we don't talk about enough on this podcast. Martin Scorsese movies. I've never heard of her. (laughs) Directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro, should not be top billed. Ray Liotta, (laughs) Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, Paul Sorvino. Winner, best supporting actor at the Oscars, nominated for best picture, supporting actress, director, adapted screenplay and film editing. What did it win? It just won best best supporting actor. That's it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. He won one Oscar. It's criminal. Story of Henry Hill and his life in the mob, covering his relationship with his wife, Karen Hill, and his mob partners, Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito, and the Italian-American crime syndicate. Mm-hmm. 
We give a lot of credit to rewatchable movies. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's always fair, but that is often the way that I watch movies. And now there are some people that will watch a movie once and they will never revisit it again. Mm-hmm. There are some people that the idea of flipping on a movie on a Saturday afternoon, midway through on TNT, is totally foreign to them. Which doesn't actually, make any sense. I was just talking to a friend of mine about this because I, I, I suggested to him I would love if Netflix had a feature where they were just playing movies all day on a loop and I could jump in at some random moment. If there was a way for Netflix to curate their schedule to fit my viewing habits. Yes. And he's like, you know, you're the only one that wants that. Uh, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true either. But he said, yeah, no one in our generation watches things like that. People our generation just flip on The Office and watch it five times over, never skipping an episode. Yeah, but that speaks. That's kind of speaks to your point, though, doesn't it? In a way, the fact that there are people who just like to rewatch the same thing over and over again. What would he say? What he's saying is that um, when when our generation watches something, they watch it with a purpose. They've decided I want to watch The Office right now, so I'm going to flip on The Office now. And there is not there's not a lot of room for stumbling onto an old classic. Mm -hmm. You don't ever watch anything by mistake on Netflix. Yeah. When you have cable and you're flipping around. Yeah. I watched the Lufthansa heist (laughs) in Goodfellas, uh, about, you know, five times a year. Yeah. Or I'll watch the dinner scene like 10 times a year. And so like that again is a unique way that I watch movies. It is, uh, very scene dependent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Uh, it is very rarely a chronological experience. And I don't need to watch the whole movie from beginning to end in order to get the full effect. So all that is all is that is to say, and I think you feel similarly about this. A movie like Goodfellas is particularly suited to our habits. Yeah, yeah. That's and this true. is a movie that is in my top ten all time, not just because it's a great movie, but it it is perfectly suited to the way that I watch movies. Because Goodfellas, in my opinion, is the most rewatchable movie ever made. <laughs> uh could be. It's in the top five, maybe top three. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Of, I mean, it, it, I have. It's not the movie I've seen the most of all movies I've I've watched. That being said, when it is on TV, or when I when I stumble across it on TV, it always goes on. Yes, immediately. So, there, so <laughs> you there's have that. never been flipping through cable, and you <laughs> yeah. and you get to Goodfellas, and you're like, yeah, I think I'm gonna flip on Deadliest Catch instead. Well, the thing is, you you look at it and you're like, what could be better to watch? Nothing. And the answer is nothing. <laughs> and there are so many wonderful scenes and there are so many like like you said, individual moments that just work. You don't necessarily need to watch the entire thing. You just know as soon as you flip it on, you're, you are going to be entertained. And that's certainly true. Um, and I mean, yeah, this is another like, like, what is there to say about this movie kind of discussions. Because, I mean, for the love of God, what is there to say about Goodfellas that hasn't been said a million times before? <laughs> You're right. I mean, I'm trying to think of movies that are more rewatchable for me. I mean, I would probably throw Shawshank on before this, if I'm being totally honest with you. Um, I So, I, I can only gauge it based on, like, when I'm on TV Guide, when I'm on the guide. Yep. And they're right next to each other. On two separate channels, as they often are, by the way. Yeah, weirdly. <laughs> Goodfellas yeah. will be on one, Shawshank will be on the other. 
I, you know, which one do I click on first? That is the measure of rewatchable. Doesn't necessarily mean better. Doesn't necessarily mean like it's an all time classic because I've seen it a million times. I mean, mm-hmm. Rounders is definitely one of the top five movies in that respect. Yeah. I would <laughs> call that a classic. Um, but if that is the metric, Goodfellas is the one that I click on the most. Yeah, it's close though. Don't get me wrong. Like a good, I've Jesus just last like a couple weeks ago, uh, I was watching Goodfellas with Abby. Do you just yeah. flip it on? It's like, yeah, it's, it's a safe comfort blanket film. And not only is this, is it a safe comfort blanket film? It's also one of the greatest films I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, my dad was flipping through Netflix and, uh, I think he was, he's currently watching Mindhunter and loving Mindhunter. Oh, good. Uh, but he took a little break and, and he, he just flipped on Goodfellas for just like 20 minutes just to yep. see, just to see Henry just running around the streets of, of New York and, uh, mm-hmm. You know, Little Italy, just just uh, picking up De Niro's dry cleaning and shit. Yep. <laughs> and it's just the best, man, when he gets tipped for the first time. We watched all the way up until when he was in the courtroom and he didn't rat. And they're oh, waiting yeah. for him outside the courtroom and they just give him big hugs. So proud of you. You did it, kid. You mm-hmm. didn't rat. And it's like, uh, you know, it, I could have been trapped there for another hour if I didn't have other stuff going on that day. I know. You know, I so know. it's any moment you want to start the movie is the perfect moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not a there's not a single bad scene where you're like, oh, you know. Yeah. Even when you're watching Pulp Fiction, it's like, oh man, we're in the taxi. Yeah, we're in the taxi cab again. Yeah, let's just get st- to walking already. You know, I mean, like let's just let's just get to uh, Tarantino's uh, uh, house cleaning guy. Well, the thing is, the, the Pulp Fiction too. I would speak to that moment, that entire stretch of movie until he finally leaves to go get his watch. I ain't that impressed by. I don't particularly right. enjoy watching it. Yes. I mean, even with the Fabian stuff, it's not not all that great. I mean, G- everything in Goodfellas is wonderful and rewatchable. And I mean, e- even just like the tiniest, tiniest moments. Well, so what do you do? Oh, I'm in construction. <laughs> stuff like that. Doesn't matter. And it's just great. I mean, I can't express enough how much I love the scene where they're in jail and they're making dinner for themselves. It's the best. You gotta one of the, most, the garlic. Keep it thin. Oh my God. One of the most satisfying sequences I have ever seen. Don't <laughs> add too many onions. I'm not. You always add too many onions. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely Just the perfect. close up on the razor blades. Yeah. There is so much detail in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. actually one of the things that Scorsese doesn't get enough credit for because he's like such a sweeping filmmaker and a very showy filmmaker in terms of the camera. Yep. You don't realize how much detail there is in his scripts. And yep. he co-wrote this script and it's it's an incredible script. Just not in the dialogue and the narration, but also in like those little moments. Yep. Uh, you know, the dinner sequence is just full of that stuff. And I'm not talking about the jail dinner sequence. I'm talking about the dinner sequence with Scorsese's mom. Dude, uh, that. <laughs> one of the best scenes ever one of our favorites who you didn't know was scorsese's mom until recently didn't know it until recently yeah i, I know. had to tell you and that is like my favorite scene in all of movies i think if i had to pick one that is my favorite scene in all of movies yep the hoof. Well, it's well, a well, sin, that, it's a it sin. Got, it got caught in the the, the grill you know the, 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 the what do you call it the what paw the, 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 the paw the hoof the hoof <laughs> i love it what's the matter you don't talk much <laughs> Well, find a girl that you could settle down with. I settle down with another girl almost every night. I want to be with you. I want to be with you, Ma. I love. Her. I just want to see him. It's three in the morning. Just, just cook no, some no, I, I haven't. Go sit down. I'll make you some. No, I, I, I haven't seen him in forever. I, I'm so happy he's here. And then the painting. By the way, I gotta get like a print of that painting and hang it up in this room. 
<laughs> I like this one. One dog goes one day, the other dog goes the other way. And this guy's been like, what do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Oh Maury's God. Wigs. Oh, God, it's great. And Has then, a character ever deserved to be whacked more than Maury from Maury's Maury, Wigs? Though. Poor Fuck Maury. Maury. Poor guy. <laughs> they never come off. Splash. <laughs> Thought he never shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> he jumps in the pool like three times in that commercial. Oh my God. It's so bad. It's great though. I, like, I, I, oh, like this entire like discussion about Goodfellas, just talking about how much we love it scene to scene. No, we're just bo- quoting lines. Like, get your shine box. <laughs> get your fucking shine box. Get your fucking shine box. Uh, <laughs> great stuff, man. You motherfucker. <laughs> but, motherfucker. But I will say this, though. This movie is, to, to get a little more <laughs> serious, <laughs> into the weeds here. Yeah. Um, the movie is an incredibly showy work of direction, and that's why mm. I often credit it as one of the best directed movies ever. Yep. But every move, every pan, every zoom is with a purpose. Uh-huh. This is not Sam Mendes just doing cool cinematography for the sake of cool cinematography. Yeah. Like that Copacabana scene is there to give you a sense of Henry Hill's world. Mm-hmm. It's to give you a sense of how many people are in his orbit, how the world just seems to fall in place for him. Tables yep. are set for him. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, drinks are moved. Uh, uh, doors are opened because of his connections. And that just gives you such a great sense of the underworld. And it also like makes that underworld incredibly sexy. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas and Godfather, I think, are the two, I guess, Godfather 2, as well, if you want to loop that in, are the two or three best mob movies of all time. But they're incredibly different mob movies. Yep. Godfather is about family. It's about warmth. It's about being part of a unit. It's about loyalty. Um, and this is just about the sexiness of the mob as a profession. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scorsese's... Yep. What? It's the allure of it, of it all, you know? Right. It's Lorraine Bracco seeing uh, Ray Liotta beat the guy across the street and mm. her going like, that turned me on. Yep. No, you know, most of my friends would have left once they, once their husband gave him a gun. <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta be honest, it kind of turned me on. Yep. Um, so two diametrically different takes on the same genre and Scorsese is the perfect filmmaker to tackle it in this way. Coppola was the perfect director for Godfather. Scorsese was the perfect director here because all of his movies have such a life. They're so yep. cocaine infused. <laughs> There's such a rush, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, even as Leota is snorting Coke and, uh, checking the lasagna <laughs> and running away from the helicopter in the sky, the lifestyle still seems pretty appealing. It's just fun, though. Like, it never stops moving. I, I always think about that opening when he's a kid and how much information is crammed into that. Yes. That's, that whole, like, like chunk of the film. Yeah. But how it never, like, because often when a movie rushes that m- many details along, it, it there's, there's no effect whatsoever. But, I, again, a, lo- a lot of that is about the, the level of detail that Scorsese manages to inject into each one of those scenes just to the way the guy is is responding to being shot and falling over and then the performance by the, the, the chef who's like you wasted eight fucking aprons don't bring him in guy. here what yeah, are you bring doing bringing him in here but it's it's it moves so fast you wasted eight. <laughs> i just love that and you, again you learn so 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 much about this just just within the span of like god it's like 
it's 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 short. It's only like I don't know, like five minutes long. Not much. Maybe a little longer than that. But yeah, it's, I think it's about ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but like again, like normally that might bother me, but there's so much character and flavor and life, and I I, I love even that stuff when you don't even uh, get Ray Liotta. It's just great. Yeah, um, I think you're right. In the hands of a lesser director, that opening scene is just an exposition dump. That's my point. Yeah. Right. And it's it's not that at all. And actually, all of this voiceover, most of the time I see voiceover in a movie and I go, oh, this is sort of a cheat. But yep. in this movie, it works perfectly because it doesn't over explain in the voiceover. And there's so much going on visually. Um, yep. and, and the voiceover just sort of feels like a nice companion. It feels like you're reading the novelization of this story, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it's also the we we have talked about this before, but like one of the most overlooked performances is Ray Liotta. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly. And by the way, De Niro's really good in the movie. Um, I, I actually kind of underrated in the movie too. I I, I guess he's he's honestly not even close to my favorite thing about it though. No, and Pesci is the most showy performance maybe in the history of mankind. Um, but yeah, Leota here is yeah, it's his movie. He's got to carry this thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I I thought surprisingly overlooked. He's really good in the movie, and I love Lorraine Bracco too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that dueling narration is just an awesome uh, way to convey perspective. And that's another thing that this movie does so well. You are in the heads of these people, even as you're changing point of view Mm -hmm. Uh, and just having the dueling narration be between a husband and wife is just really a fascinating deconstruction and just an awesome storytelling device, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's also like the best way to do it. I would say like, cause if you're talking about taking like the side of someone who has been in this industry, well, this line of work forever to someone who's just being introduced to it, to just how well painted of a picture it is. Mm-hmm. Cause again, there are like the feminine details and how the, the other mob wives are. And there's that great scene where she's like, I thought they were disgusting. You know, they didn't look very good. You know, that part, right. it's just like everything again. It, it, what boggles my mind is just how big this script must've been. Oh, like yeah. I, I pictured the script. It must've been like 300 pages long. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it must've been a fucking novel. It, right. Like seriously, I I can't imagine this movie being written in 120 pages. Yeah, yeah. Not only in the detail of yeah, but also the dialogue is just yeah. so much awesome dialogue. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lorraine Bracco at the beginning where <laughs> the feds start invading the house. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know they they, they most of the sp- time these women they threw a tantrum that never made any sense to me. They used to spit on the floor. That never made any sense to me. Never made it's any a, sense to me. You know, great. I just made him a cup of coffee, welcomed yeah. him in. Yeah. Just do what you got to do and leave. But that's such an interesting detail. Like, cause you're right. Like in most dramatic films, it would have been like, fuck you pig. And they spit on them and whatnot. But right. Instead, she's just like, you're going to come in. So, you know, come in. This is do the line thing. of work that we're in, man. This is what I'm we used do. to it. Yeah, exactly. But I and love that. The movie does have that effect on you. I love how the scene opens with them stabbing Billy bats. Oh God. The movie opens with that scene that you forget. That's mm. the first scene of the movie. It's lit with like the, the brake lights on in the middle of the woods up in the country. It's like th- these people are devilish figures mm-hmm. bathed in red light. Yep. Sta- <laughs> Tommy DeVito stabs the guy in the trunk <laughs> repeatedly and then cut. We're in the movie and we revisit that scene an hour and a half in. And I, of course, as an opening scene, it's quite jarring and it's like, Oh, what am I about to get into? But by the time they get to that scene in the chrono- chronology of the movie, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. Yep. I understand why he did it. Fuck that guy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck well, that the, guy. Made man that, or not. 
The movie lets you know the tone that it's going to be immediately after the, the, he closes the trunk and then the, it gets, it zooms in and you get that freeze frame. And then he, uh, I mean, I don't even know what the music was, but again, it lets you know that this is going to be much more, I don't know, not, not necessarily as grim as that opening ultimately was. Right. Which is what I, it, it, it's effective at painting that picture pretty early on. Yeah, anyway. but it also, it, it, you gain empathy for the characters as the movie goes yeah. and you, un, it, it, their actions are justified and you understand that this is the life that they've chosen for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the Tony Bennett song that played at the beginning? After the freeze frame? Boy, was it? Might yeah, I think that's a Tony Bennett song at the beginning. By the way, it's uh, just an incredible soundtrack. It, oh, God. It, Scorsese is sort of, creating the idea of music supervision in this movie yeah uh all the stone songs um all uh, bobby Vinton, all, all like mm-hmm. dean martin all those like classic uh 50s 60s recording artists could be my favorite soundtrack honestly yeah. i love this soundtrack yeah it's awesome soundtrack and you know i i think as a result a lot of movies have used music supervision as a crutch we've talked about like the uh the degradation of the soundtrack or of the mm-hmm. score i should say uh in in place of the soundtrack um and i i do wish that there was more original music in movies but yeah this is just an awesome playlist mm-hmm. of, of classic yeah, I, hits it's kind of undeniable yeah yeah that, that's sort of the effect of this movie although it's not my favorite scorsese movie oddly yeah yeah i i know it's not and that's cool. I, I think it is mine. I go back and forth on this a lot. I think Taxi Driver might be like his greatest achievement, but Goodfellas is, of course, my favorite because, like, <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> it's 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 different, though. Like, again, I always make this comparison where it's like I'm always going to have, you know, I'm going to buy M&Ms far more often and I'm going to have a lot more of them in my lifetime. But whenever I buy a, a lint chocolate bar, it's always a much more satisfying and, and fulfilling experience. Always, always, always. But what means more to you? The lint chocolate. See, I, I don't know if that's true, man, because one is always in your life and the other one is only for special occasions. Exactly. And movies to me are like family, man. Like they're always there. It's the constant drum that means more to me than the, you know, the occasional high. I'm not overthinking it that way. I'm just saying like when I watch something, I want it to be a little more special than that. So, but Goodfellas is special because it's always there. I think that's my point. Sure. I guess Goodfellas there's different is, Yeah. There's different sides to that. I'm just saying like when I watch something like Taxi Driver, it's a much more impactful experience. It's one that like I will take with me I, uh, to my grave in a way that I can't quite say that about Goodfellas. It's just like when I think back to Goodfellas, I'm going to think, yeah, that was always consistently fun and comforting. Whereas I will look back to uh, Taxi Driver and say that changed my life. You know what I mean? I do. Mm-hmm. I do know what you mean. Uh, yeah. It's Goodfellas, man. Welcome what do you to want? the movie Hall of Fame, Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Is that quickly, as quickly as it is, yep. Just get it over with, dude. Just yeah. get it over with. I mean, we could sit here and just, you know, talk about a bunch more scenes and just, you know, qu- quote De Niro in this thing. Mm-hmm. That's all we were doing anyway. It's fine. I got some beautiful leather on the corner. Go around the corner. <laughs> I don't want, I got to save some quotes for the end. God damn it. The hand motion. <laughs> yeah, it's over there. Right over there. Right over there. It's over there. <laughs> oh man. It's so like chilling. That's such, uh, whatever. Okay. That's good fellas. Guys, what, what, come on. 
We can quote all of Goodfellas. You can just watch Goodfellas. It it, it would take the same amount of time. Well, that's the thing. It's like, how have you not seen Goodfellas yet? That's a strange thing to say. If you haven't, man, uh, boy, I would love to be you right now. Mm -hmm. I would love to discover it for the first time. So damn good. I know. I know. Uh, All right. There we go. Goodfellas. That was sort of an obvious choice, but uh, had to get in there. Now, are we done inducting Scorsese movies? Over under is half a Scorsese movie. Do you think we induct one more or not? (laughs) Maybe. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Goodfellas, and Gangs of New York have all been inducted. Yeah, that's oh my god, I always forget Gangs of New York got inducted. (laughs) A little weird, but like okay. Yeah. Oh man. Guess I think we put one more in. Yeah, at, at least one more. How many Spielberg films have gotten in? E.T., Indiana Jones, Schindler's List. Jaw- Jaws. Jaws. I think that's um, it. I think we you're did, right. We did not do Saving Private Ryan. No. I think we might be done there, though. Maybe. Unless, Maybe. Uh, unless the post gets in one day. <laughs> That was on the other day, and I was just reminded of how little I care about that movie. Oh, boy. Man, what's up with this new Scorsese movie, by the way, with, uh, with what's De Niro Scorsese? and DiCaprio? Is it, the, is it the serial killer movie? Yes. They're actually doing it? They're actually doing it, but they're having a hard time raising money for it, because wouldn't you know it, Scorsese's going over budget again. Oh, boy. Yeah. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. So he wants to spend like $200 million on this thing. What? And he doesn't need $200 million for that fucking movie. Yeah. It turns out no studio wants to finance it. So he went hat in hand to Netflix again. So this might be another Netflix production. Wow. Okay. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Tell me what we're doing next week, Mr. Hall. <sighs> well, I had the bright idea of doing the year of 2005 in movies. The year of our Lord. Yes, that's right. All right, let's do this. Uh, You go first. Go ahead. Uh, A history of violence. Okay. (laughs) I really think this is kind of a shit year. Uh, 40-year-old virgin. I'll do 40-year-old virgin. Sin City. Wow. 40 year old version. <laughs> Ma- I'll, I'll make you watch match point. Cause I just watched it and I'd like to talk about it on a podcast. Okay. Um, the descent. You're going to watch that one. This is a bad fucking list already. No, it's not. <laughs> because we can't do squid in the whale. We are right. We already did that. And then, uh, <laughs> and we can't you don't want to do batman begins i got no i don't i don't i, I mean shouldn't brokeback mountain be here yeah i like munich more <laughs> i mean shouldn't walk the line be here no i like walk the line but it's i don't think it's better than any of those other movies i like i I would actually i mean even though i probably enjoy it more squid and the whale is definitely a better movie than walk the line Good night, good luck, Cinderella Man. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. 
Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Good point. Uh, I'm going to nominate Brokeback Mountain and I reserve the right to change my mind. That's fine. That's fine. Let me think about this more. I okay. I uh, still contend that this is a pretty shitty list. <laughs> hey, we were going to talk about it eventually. I told you we didn't have to do it. We can do no, another year. No, it's fine. It's fine. We'll do it. I'm not going to be upset if you want to do a different year. It's okay. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Jesus Christ, Nico. The 2000s just suck, dude. That's, yeah, that's yeah. all. The 2000s just suck. All right. That's it. So I got to watch Match Point. And you got to watch The Descent. Yeah. Okay. Should be that's a good fine. time. Yeah. We'll, That's we'll be here next week. Same time, same place. Come join us. Will you? Love you. No. You don't have to join us. No, 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 no. Stay away from us. I was just about to say, dude, you don't want people to come anywhere near us. Remember? Oh, yeah. Remember? Stay the fuck, stay the fuck away. Yes. You Liberate animal. this podcast, Adam Hall. <laughs> <laughs> you filthy animals. Liberate too many thoughts. Liber- what does that mean? You libtards. Oh, watch The Hunt. <laughs> By the way, we talked about eight movies. <laughs> we had an eight movie discussion. That's why this is so fucking long. I'm sorry, guys. Yes. You're in quarantine. Quit whining. We're yeah. giving you content. There's nothing to do. Yeah, be happy. Be happy. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen to Wise is the thing this week. We did the Netflix show Too Hot to Handle. Oh, God. <laughs> it was a terrible podcast. time. Oh, I disagree. Terrible time terrible i watched every episode of that show yeah yeah you sick fuck all your all your idea yeah i a terrible idea but hey give it a listen and watch me writhe in pain i don't know yeah always a good time (laughs) and uh yeah we'll be back next week talking about the films of 2005 i love you very much Mm -hmm. and until then hey spider that bandage on your foot is bigger than your fucking head (laughs) 